What's up, everybody? This is Wayne, and this is the podcast. Everybody Wayne Chung tonight, although that may be changing soon because somehow, miraculously, I'm not in prison. <laughs> so the entire reason to change the name of the podcast, Everybody Wayne Chung tonight, to remember me while I'm away in prison, no longer really applies. So we might have a new name and new branding for this podcast in the weeks to come. But given that we just had this historic victory, um, and I know last week we had a great conversation with Paul and Almir and Curtis, I wanted to have a conversation more specifically focused on what unfolded actually in that courtroom. And Jeremy Beckham is one of the best people to have that conversation with because he was there. And Jeremy, despite being a non-lawyer, has a very astute legal mind, as you will hear in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I recorded it when I was dead tired, so I'm sorry if I'm a little fatigued. There were times when I was struggling to stay awake during this podcast, not because of Jeremy, but because I just have gotten so little sleep. But without further ado, here is Jeremy Beckham. How you doing, my friend? It's been a pretty good week. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> it's been a pretty good day for you, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, we won today, and more uh, importantly, we won last week, and that's why we're able to have this conversation. Uh, is it really last week? It is last week. Four days week, ago. It? Was four it really ago. four days ago? It was four days ago. Oh, my God. That we got the not guilty It birds. feels like 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm sure it does, but you know, it would really feel like 40, days, 40 years if you were sitting in a jail cell right now, I know, so would, yeah. I'm glad you're not. Yeah, that was only four days ago that you, you heard the not guilty verdict. Yeah, I'm, I'm penning this op-ed for the New York Times that hopefully will get published. It might not because there have been some difficulties, which are mostly my fault. But one of the things I'm leading with is, I don't know if you heard this, but the the judge a few months ago, um, when it was just the attorneys, the clients, the defendants were not present in court, he had the court reporter turn off you know, the records. They were going off the record just to tell our attorneys that he was convinced they were guilty and that it was time for us to plead, plead take a plea or plead guilty. Or he's going to throw the book at us. And he said something along the lines of, you know, there's a state prison right next door that's pretty empty because we emptied it out for COVID. And there's a lot of space for your clients. And both Liz and Mary took that as like a direct threat, which is bizarre in a whole lot of ways. One of which is the judge is actually not supposed to prejudge a case. You know, he's not actually supposed to be judging the facts at all. He's supposed to be just a neutral arbiter. But he, he decided fairly yeah. early on that I was guilty. But no, I want to talk about today, though. Okay. So how are you feeling? Tell, tell us what happened today, Mr. Beckham. Yeah, well, we got a couple different organizations we're involved with, Utah Animal Rights Coalition, as well as Direct Action Everywhere, and then a few individual plaintiffs as well have all teamed up and we're suing Beaver County, yeah. uh, which is in Utah. It's where Smithfield's at. And the lawsuit is over the conduct of their police officers, basically, mm -hmm. on July 23rd. Uh, which, you know, is when they celebrate this thing here in Utah called Pioneer Day. People outside of Utah probably don't even know about this. Good old Pioneer Day. <laughs> well, and as we've really seen in the course of this case, it's it's a rather sacred day, apparently. Oh, yeah. it's even I think it's actually even more sacred than I realized. I, I, I don't think I understood how sacred it was until today. And I, I think I, I finally I heard knew... all the witnesses today talking about yeah. how important Pioneer Day was for them and how dare these people bring their social and political causes yeah, I mean, to Pioneer I, Day. I shouldn't mock it. I mean, I guess I'm kind of <laughs> safe now because... I'm no longer going to be convicted in Utah, the thing at least about, for these charges. But, the thing about Pioneer but I should still Day be respectful is, to everyone in Utah. I Utah think, people are great. I think Pioneer Day in Utah is like simultaneously a religious holiday and a state holiday. Hmm. So I think that's part of how they get this like really deep, you know, sacredness to this. But, hmm. you know, it's also one of the things about rural America. And I actually think this is kind of an unfortunate thing is like rural America is very alienated from each other. And there's not a lot of like 
gatherings that happen where like the whole town comes mm. out together sure um you know and, and so you know people are just very isolated and spread out across the county yeah. you know not very undensely sparsely yeah. populated so so many people are killing themselves and dying of overdose deaths they're so isolated exactly yeah. exactly um, but you haven't said what pioneer day is what is pioneer day so everyone's pi- wondering pioneer don't day is waiting, a day Jeremy. that we uh celebrate i don't exactly know how it landed on I think it landed on July 24th, and this particular year it was observed July 23rd huh. because July 24th landed on a Sunday. Uh, okay. But usually it's so July the Sabbath 24th. beats Pioneer Day. Yeah, sun- Sunday is like you never do anything do on anything. Sunday if you're LDS. Okay. You're not supposed to. Can you turn the lights on? It's not like kosher. Is no, it's not, not, okay. not quite not that, that extreme. Okay. But, um, but you you're can't work. To, you're supposed to just go to church and spend time with your family. Okay. And you Those can't are work? really the only two things. You can't okay. work. And you I can't mean, I, celebrate Pioneer Day, apparently. You can't, yeah, you can't celebrate you can't Pioneer celebrate Day. Pioneer Day. Okay, yeah. but tell us what it is. Well, I'm actually so not it's, even sure myself. It's, um, you know, and, and I, I probably don't know everything about it, but my understanding of it is basically it's the day that we celebrate in Utah, the pioneers coming and settling here in Utah. Hmm. Um, you know, the pioneers are... Meaning are, the Mormon pioneers, yeah. not like the, you know, the original European pioneers or the indigenous pioneers. Correct. It yeah. means very specifically the Mormon, Mormon pioneers, pioneers coming okay. and, and settling all across this part of the country. Okay. Um, so it's and, like Brigham Young and his crew, because Joseph yep. Smith didn't make it to Utah, right? That's exactly right. Okay. Yep. I've learned so much about Mormonism from you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a Mormon encyclopedia yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, like I said, I'm sure there's some things even I don't know about it, but I just remember, you know, growing up Mormon, um, you know, images of the of pioneers were a big deal and, and just that they're, they're very into their history. Hmm. And, you know, un- unlike most like um, large religions, like their religion came into existence during a period where we had a lot of recorded history already, like clearly mm. recorded history. We have photographs of oh, these people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because this so, is what, like the late 19th century, maybe? Like the mid-19th century, mid-19th mid to century? late. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Interesting. So like around the anti-slavery movement is when Mormonism is rising. Yeah, that's right. 1830 to And that, that's a really controversial topic in the church as well, because yeah, the Mormon church more or less aligned with the Confederacy. Yeah, they had slaves, right? Yeah, and they yeah. and they were hoping that if the Confederacy won, that the Confederates would recognize them as a state, because the federal U.S. federal government wasn't at that point. Jokes on them, they lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you do on Pioneer Day? What are you supposed to do? Um, I mean, obviously what happened with us on Pioneer Day is... Yeah, so there's usually fireworks. We got our First Amendment rights violated, but yeah. you say a fireworks. So it's like July 4th. It is kind of like July, July 4th. 4th. In fact, like the month of July in Utah, I actually really hate it because I hate fireworks in general, yeah. and it's like a really awful hot time. But there's a ton of fireworks. For, it's like a whole firework month between mm-hmm. the 4th and the 24th. Like, it's crazy. But okay. And there's parades. There's always parades. There's a parade here even in Salt Lake City. Lots of parades and fireworks. Those are the main things... Yeah. I know, and we. Yeah. I mean, so on the one hand, you know, obviously, I think a lot of these holidays are a little silly, and I, I also share your dislike for fireworks because they terrify animals, and fireworks apparently cause a lot of fires, and actually, even human oh beings, yeah, there's a lot of human beings that get injured by fireworks. They cause a lot of fires out here. I also just don't think they're that cool. I, I don't mean, either. <laughs> I don't know why people yeah. love this so much. It's like. You know, yeah. do you have a TV? Like, a TV is yeah. just as cool as fireworks. I will say, I like some of the stuff associated with fireworks shows. So huh. July 4th, here where I live every year, there's a park nearby that is a fireworks show. And the whole neighborhood kind of walks and gathers in the park. And so I like this that is what feeling I was of, say. of, yeah. yeah. I, I do like the idea of a community coming together and celebrating something about, you know, our, our collective values. Yeah. I, I just don't think, for me... And I don't want to make, make a liar out of Justin Marceau, because he did just call me a patriot in court. But July 4th and Pioneer Day, these things and, and these holidays aren't the holidays that really make me feel like, you know, I'm coming together with my community around a shared set of values. But maybe I just need to become Mormon and I'll understand. Yeah. So so anyways, so there's Pioneer Day, in, which is a big holiday. Is it the biggest holiday in Mormonism? 
Why is it religious, by it the way? It's just because that's is. when the Mormons came here, and so well, it it's just a like the thing? early history of Utah is so infused with politics and religion. You almost can't separate like the establishment and recognition of the state of Utah with the Mormon Church. I mean, it was the the state was established because Mormons wanted like a homeland. Okay. But there's no like religious significance. It's not like Jesus came to Utah on Pioneer Day or something like that. I, it's it's really hard it's to just explain. It's literally like, a bunch of human beings came to Utah, and that's we're celebrating. But it was but it was divinely inspired. Like this was God's plan, so it's okay. like the, the 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 political history of the state of Utah is deeply intertwined with the theology of religion of Mormonism. Okay. It really is. It, it, you can't really easily disentangle them. Yeah, I mean the the reason I I I got the sense that Pioneer Day was a pretty big deal because I, I could just tell the all the witnesses today. And I'm sorry, I did not give you the full context. We'll get to it in a bit. We'll get to what happened today in the hearing in a bit. We had all these people from Beaver County testifying in a god awful hearing. I mean, it was just like hours and hours <laughs> it was of grueling. saying the same dumb and boring and useless stuff. I wouldn't call um, it boring personally, but yeah, I mean, was, parts of it were interesting. It was repetitive. But though. There was a lot of it that was boring and completely useless. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't really help us that much. It didn't hurt us that much. It was just repetition. You know? Yeah. Like I don't like animal rights actors at Pioneer Day, but the one thing that was central to pretty much every witness's testimony today was being extremely angry that there are these non-Mormons in the LDS park on Pioneer Day. Yeah. And there's just like almost this seething sense of yeah. grievance and, and anger about the fact, how dare you? How so, dare you come yeah. <laughs> and interfere with our Pioneer Day? Yeah. Yeah. So just Where, a little more background information for people who don't know. And anyone out there can do a Google search and watch video of this themselves. You know, look up Audit the Audit. They probably produce one of the best videos on this, frankly, of yeah. just the Beaver County Sheriff's. Um, that day, um, activists with DXE and UARC were down there trying to just conduct outreach into the community. And Pioneer Day is one of the only times that this community is in Everybody's one place, yep. you know, and you can easily have conversations with people. And, you know, definitely from day one, the plan always was and always would be to conduct this kind of outreach on public property, mm-hmm. make sure you're remaining respectful and peaceful. Um, there truly was nothing even remotely harassing or threatening, despite what yeah. you know Beaver County tried to say today. But the well, a know, lot of the witnesses even said that a our lot of the witnesses were very respectful. Yeah, you know, definitely. like the mayor himself, he said, "Yeah, yeah. They, they weren't willing to go, but they were very polite to me." Yeah, you exactly. know, and I could see how they would, it would be reasonable for them to reach out to another person <clears throat> who they had previously talked to and not just trust my word for it. I mean, I, but, I think yeah. this case is frankly a, a, a case book example of. A heckler's veto, though. Yeah. What was upsetting to people was the content of the message. It was yeah. that we were there. Well, we're getting we... ahead of ourselves. Okay. What exactly happened? We actually did just talk about this on a podcast recently, but just briefly, can you summarize what exactly happened? Yeah. On July twenty third, twenty twenty two, and then I'm going to talk about the lawsuit because you're yeah. really the one who's driving this more than anybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you were so... <laughs> the one who said, "Yeah, let's let's bring out the lawyers on these." Folks. So activists showed up that day. And they were there conducting outreach, and, and after a little while, Beaver County Sheriff showed up, and uh, you had Sergeant Woolsey was one of the main people who kind of took the lead on this, and he basically said, you can't be doing this, you know, the, the, the community here hates you. Some of them want you killed. That was literally what one of the, I don't remember if that was Laws or Woolsey, but one of them said Laws that. Laws and then Noel. Yeah, said, you know, some of these people want you killed here. You can't be here. You're causing a disturbance. You're causing a disturbance. And... Um, you know, I was not there that day firsthand, but I started receiving phone calls from Curtis, who was there. And Curtis was like, dude, you're not going to believe what's going on. These cops are like saying we have to leave town. We have to leave town. And I'm like, well, they can't <laughs> do town? that. Yeah, yeah. Curtis is like, this is I've never seen this before in my life. 
you know, these cops are like going way over the line here. And I just told him and I told Max too. Max also called me and I was like, film it. You need to start filming ASAP because I've been through this many times before. And this is why I told you. Yeah, I've cautioned you about this once or twice too, Wayne, which is that police, this is just the truth. You know, police often will have no qualms lying. Yeah. And um, or at least grossly distorting things to suit their narrative. And I mean, I can give you several examples from my own personal life where this has happened. Um, and so you got to get everything on film. That That's so key. And if we didn't have things on film, if yeah. we didn't have our own film, if we didn't have the body cam footage, <clears throat> I think we'd have a much more difficult case. Yeah. Even if all the facts happen the exact same way. Not only would we film. have a much more difficult case, our folks could be facing very serious criminal sanctions. Yeah, I completely agree. With absolutely no halt. <clears throat> given that they were willing to charge Curtis when they were on videotape. Yeah. And they knew the entire world was going to see it, and they still charged them. Yep. Imagine what they would have done if there were no cameras. This is why, like, I'm always in the it's position scary. of, you know, I, I always like to have a mentality of when you're leafleting or protesting, you obey their orders in the moment, you sue them later. Because then yeah. I think that's the best way to go about it, because then you get to stay on offense. Because mm-hmm. the whole time you're in a criminal proceeding, it, it makes your civil case harder. I, I like to always be the one putting them on the defensive. The one exception to that is when they give me or someone else an order to stop filming, I usually disobey that order, frankly. That's like the one thing because that's like the original sin. If you turn that camera off, you know, (laughs) you know, you're on your own almost. You're you're tossed to the wolves (laughs) at that point. So, you know, I I think it's just so important that you get everything on film. And, you know, usually when they say stop filming, I'm telling you to stop filming. I usually say, you know, well, I'm sorry, officer, but my attorney demands I film everything. Yeah, I I mean, so I usually know to stop. Okay, so, but I don't know if that was good advice in this particular case because part of the reason we got this footage. And we have this civil case is because Curtis did stand up for his constitutional rights. He didn't I, just I, yeah. leave, right? I mean, they ordered him to stop. They ordered him to leave, and he kept doing it. Yeah. And that's part of the reason he was cited. That's part of the reason we got all the really good footage. If it had just been one interaction, and he just said, I'm asking you to leave, and he left, Woolsey could have said, you know, I was just saying <clears> that as a citizen. You know, I just wanted him to leave. So, Because what happened was, Deputy Woolsey, or, I'm sorry, Sergeant Woolsey, forgive me, Sergeant Woolsey, if you're listening to this, which I'm sure you are. I doubt he's listening to this. If he's listening to this, then I want to have you on the podcast, Sergeant, because that would be that a fun would be podcast. pretty wild. Jeremy would have a heart attack if I invited Sergeant Woolsey and Sheriff Noel on this podcast. But Sergeant Woolsey comes up to Curtis and basically says, you're not welcome here. No, you know, no one wants to hear what you have to say. You know, you need to leave town and stop doing outreach on a public sidewalk, which is, you know, the... I think the way Kara put it, and I think this is what the Supreme Court has described it as, the quintessential public forum. That's right. It is like the iconic place where the First Amendment was supposed to live. And in that iconic place where the First Amendment is supposed to live, it died in Beaver County on yeah, July 23rd. that's where you have the most speech protections. That's, that's where you, and it died, you know, because yeah. they not only did they harass him, not only did they basically tell people, you know, don't talk to him because he's trying to stop Smithfield, which is not appropriate for a public officer to do. But they criminally charged him. Yeah. They charged him for leafleting. What kind yeah. of... Ah, <laughs> God. Yeah, and like, just to be clear, I don't think you should, if they show up and say, you need to leave, I don't think you should tuck just your tail leave. in your leg yeah. and walk away right okay, away. Good. That's I, um, that's I thought you were saying, and I'm, I I think you should push back and exercise You should. You should stand up for yourself, and you yeah. should get that all on film as well. Absolutely. Um, so that, and you're completely, completely correct that the police will try if they can to claim in court that they were getting you to just basically voluntarily leave. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that can't hurt you if it's yeah. just like, yeah, I know they were already planning on leaving anyway. Yeah, I was just asking But that. Yeah. if you get them on film saying, if you do not leave, I will cite you 
Or if you do not leave, I will arrest you. In a civil proceeding, that's just as good as you getting arrested. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's just as strong of evidence. But but it has to be that clear. Not and, as good and, damages, though. Uh, maybe not as good damages. They don't you might be right about you. that. Yeah. But um, so, you know, it, people can decide how they want to proceed a little bit. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to, like, fault someone if they want to make a point out of it and get arrested. But but I just, you know, we, you have to go through that whole crim- criminal proceeding, too, and it just makes things a little messier. Yeah. I know you had that experience <clears throat> before, and that's been frustrating. Yeah. So and, I understand that. And the thing is, if you do end up somehow getting convicted in that criminal proceeding, you're, yeah. you're sorry to, for speciesist expression a little bit, but your goose is kind of cooked in the civil case. Yeah. I yeah. Think. And I think, I mean, something that Kara said today, Kara, for the record, is the civil rights lawyer who took up this case on behalf of the Utah Animal Rights Coalition, Direct Action Everywhere, and three individual plaintiffs, I think yep, it is. That's right. Curtis Fulmer, Alex Taylor. I think is that's Alex right. I and think then, that's right. And then Max is the third one. Yep, What's Max's right. last name? Corwin. Okay. So Kara, oh my gosh, what's her last name? Peters? Porter. Porter, I'm sorry. So Kara Porter said this today, but I mean, one of the reasons I think getting out of the criminal case is, is better is because in many ways you have more rights in civil cases. You know, like you don't have a right to a deposition for the most part in yep. a criminal case, which sucks. You know, you're kind of going into these cases blind. Like when I was cross-examining all these witnesses, I mean, I had no idea what they were going to say and I had to guess. And, you know, I, I actually did a pretty good job of guessing what I thought they were going to say. And so I had the right things to cross them with. But if they had gone in a different direction, I, I would have just been lost. You yep. Know? I also think you, you get the benefit you, you of... Don't, in a civil yeah. case, you get to depose people and you get hearing like this, which... I will say it was a complete disaster for them today that they had all these unprepared witnesses. But yeah, but yeah. So I the, the other thing I in think general get, I agree with that advice. I just think it's worth pushing back a little bit and you know yeah skirting some of those boundaries because sometimes you have to push up to the boundary to get a good claim at all. And obviously, yeah. you know, if you give up too quickly, you're basically giving up your civil rights too. There's yeah, there's something to be said about just standing on your principles and saying no. I mean, if I have a right to free speech, I'm going to exercise it. If I have a right. To remain silent, I'm going to remain silent. You know, even yeah. the cop tells me, no, you tell me everything about what you're doing today. And you don't have a right to remain silent. Exercise your right. Don't listen to the order. For sure. But yeah. Yeah. So th- th- there's a lot of nuance here. There is nuance. Um, and, and one thing I want to say, too, that I think you get in a civil proceeding, you don't get in a criminal proceeding, frankly, is less bias. Mm. I mean, I, I think a criminal yeah. defendant from the moment they walk into a criminal yeah, proceeding, the whole system is... You know, there's an implicit bias. I think everyone sort of thinks you did something, even yeah. the judge. I mean, listen to what you just said about in your criminal case. The judge brought you into chambers and said, I think he did it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's just a whole attitude in the criminal proceeding of like, you're lucky you get this whole yeah. proceeding, you know, which is why, you know, I'm sorry to sound patriotic myself here, but, you know, I'm so glad we do have a jury system. Yeah, I am too. If, you did, if we didn't have a jury system, I'm sorry, Wayne, but that guy, if that was up to that judge, you would be in jail. And so, you know, thank God we do live in a country where you were able to to get a jury. Yeah, no, we're lucky. Not only a jury, but a really good jury. These jurors are really smart. There's a big difference between the jury I had in North Carolina. Um, the jury I had in North Carolina, they came to a verdict really quickly. I don't think they were very thoughtful, um, just to be honest. And it, I mean... This is a little bit classist, but they were just less educated. You know, mm-hmm. our jury here in Washington County was like shockingly educated. I think they were still probably Republican. You know, there's a, a professor on the jury who was, you know, friends of a bunch of cops and tweeted about Mitt Romney a lot, apparently. But for the most part, our jury was like a solid, you know, thoughtful, highly educated jury. And they were able to go through some of the issues in a more sophisticated way than the jurors, I think, in North Carolina were. But. Yeah. So how did you get the idea? So you, Curtis calls you and says, "Hey, they're telling me to leave town." 
Yeah, I and, mean, and so are you thinking already lawsuit? Is that absolutely the first thing right away? Oh yeah, and I'm <laughs> I'm thinking lawsuit. You know, these civil rights lawsuits are frankly one of the only ways we have to fight back, like yeah. at least through the system. Yeah, for um, sure. And you know, I've I've been involved in at this point, honestly, probably about a dozen civil rights lawsuits against a dozen. Seriously, yeah, That's amazing, Jeremy. Yeah, against like different police officers, or in one case, like the city itself. Um, and Are these all 1983 actions? They're all 1983 actions. You might be a plaintiff in more 1983 actions. You might be like in the top 100 in the country. I doubt that. That sounds like a stretch. 12? I, a I don't lot. know about that. It's, you know. Really? One person having 12 and you were named plaintiff in 12? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I know people have been in like three and I'm like, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> and they've all ended favorably. Too, yeah. So that's I mean, I think it's because you're smart about these things. So you collect evidence. You're, yeah. you're looking at it ahead of time. And, and it sounds like you had an amazing attorney here for a long time, too. Couple who was very them. efficient about yep. doing these actions, which makes a big difference. And I, th- I think we've discovered another fantastic attorney, frankly. This is my first case with yeah, Kara. Kara. No, and um, it's not going to be my last one with yeah, her, though. I th- I'm sure she's going to handle more cases. All right. For so us. Tell, tell us what a 1983 action is. Because you actually probably know better than me, even though I'm an attorney, because I've never. Yeah, I've never been a litigant or an attorney in a 1983 action. Actually, is yeah. that true? I might have been. I probably assisted in some 1983 actions. I don't think I've been counsel record in a 1983 action. Sure. So tell us what they are. So I, I probably, to be honest, you only know the the, the basics. But okay. the basics are there's a section of U.S. Code that's like, I think it's 42 U.S.C. 1983. That's mm-hmm. where 1983 comes from. And it was actually a Reconstruction era law. So this was after the Civil War happened. What you had was you had a lot of Southern states that were still horribly repressing freed slaves. They were depriving them of their right to vote, their right to assemble, their all of their basic rights that we just essentially fought a whole civil war about and passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments about. A lot of state governments were not recognizing these rights that we just fought this bloody war over. So Congress said we need to pass a law to empower the federal government to make sure people's rights are upheld. Mm-hmm. So it was part of, I believe it might have been called like the Ku Klux Klan Act. Huh. Um, is what really? cre- yeah is what no created idea. this section of code, and it basically allows the federal government to intervene against state actors on the state and local level who are depriving people of their rights. Yeah. These are like your First Amendment right to free speech or assembly, your Fourth Amendment right to search and seizure. Those are kind of, I think, the biggest ones that come into play with activism. And, it and allows- by state actors, you just mean government. You don't mean literally, mm-hmm. you know. In this case, official. I actually mean it in both senses. Um, okay. It's it's the government. It can be a federal official too, right? It actually cannot be a federal official. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it has to be. A, it a, has to be a state or county official. Unfortunately. Wow. Yep, they're, so what's they're, the equivalent? See, yeah, I'm yeah. learning something new today. What's the equivalent when a federal official violates your rights? Is so, there an equivalent? Yeah, sort of. It's huh. weaker in a lot of ways. It's called. It, it actually comes from a court case okay. called Bivens v. Six unnamed federal agents or something like that. <laughs> so it's called a Bivens action when okay. you use that. And, I heard that term before. Yeah, and and it, and it comes from a court case. And in fact, by the way, my understanding is a lot of more conservative judges are a lot more skeptical hmm. about like Bivens standing and it's kind of been eroded a lot over the years. And um, I've never brought a Bivens action. Okay. Uh, you know, none of my lawsuits have been against like the DEA the or the FBI or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know as much about that. I just know what attorneys have told me is it's a little crummier. Okay. All right. So a 1983 <laughs> action is when your rights are violated by a state actor. It can't be a federal actor, which means also includes county and city. Just it does, because those are political subdivisions, subdivisions of the state. Of the state. Yep. And they can violate any of your rights. 
You know, um, your Sixth Amendment <clears throat> rights, your Fifth Amendment rights. I mean, could you sue like a state court judge? Like, could I sue Judge Wilcox for violating my Sixth Amendment rights? I don't think so, actually, because okay. I think there's... I don't think so, but okay. I don't quote me on that because I think there's special judicial immunity okay. that comes into play. So I, I think it basically has to be a cop. Um, or it actually doesn't have to be a cop, though. It, it can, can be, be any government official, can't it? it? I think it, it can, can even be, be the like municipality itself. Yeah, I think, I if think if they right. actually pass a law, you can yeah. even bring a 1983 action against uh, like a city if they pass an ordinance. I've done that once before, so I know you can do that too. Yeah, isn't the language something like violates your rights under the color of law? Yes, isn't that the language? Yeah, yeah. they're so, they're using their their official position either mm-hmm. as a government. Local government, and I, I, you know, I guess I should add an asterisk that I'm not an attorney. Sure, this is just the understanding that I've developed over years. Yeah. Of, of I mean, you being, have done a dozen of them. So. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> that's t- that's take a lot what of I'm saying with a actually. tiny grain of salt. Yeah. You know, d- do a little bit of research, maybe talk to an attorney. If you I really did catch th- you on that point about strict scrutiny. Remember? <laughs> no, but I believe you. <laughs> a couple months ago, you were okay. insisting that you know all 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 content based um, regulations of speech were okay. subject to scr- scrutiny, and I said no, not if they're content neutral or. No, Content neutral uh, regulations of speech are not subject to scrutiny. scrutiny. Okay. If so, if it's like the type of content, maybe not, it was intermediate scrutiny or something. Yeah, like it's that. like you know, okay, it's intermediate scrutiny, but it doesn't matter. Okay, sorry, I shouldn't call you out. I just <laughs> I, had, okay. I had to get a <laughs> this is dig. getting quite. I'm only getting now, I'm getting but... this dig in because Jeremy's always right about everything, so I got to <laughs> I got to be right about. So something. the times I'm wrong really stand yeah, out. Yeah, the, the times you're <laughs> wrong really stand out. To me. Uh, okay, so you got a 1983 action, and and so what happens here? Curtis calls you up. He says, these cops are telling yeah. me to leave town. And you know, I love the way Kara put it. It is like a bad B movie. You know, it's like yeah. some ridiculous movie where like, you know, there's a cowboy who comes in. He's the Lone Ranger. comes in a new town and someone comes yeah. up to him and says, you know, we don't like you. You're type around here. I've got yeah. a terrible cowboy accent. Maybe you can do better than me. And and Curtis basically refuses, right? And, yeah. And it's like an hour long conversation. And eventually he gets charged. Yep. And you've got this sergeant who's interfering with his outreach for like an hour um everyone else is just scared and you know I, we should add in addition you know one of the officers said you're definitely going to get killed and the yeah. sheriff himself went up to the table which had been moved into a place that was clearly public property from what yep. i understand and the sheriff cameron noel himself goes up to you know a young woman ali morikawa and yells you are going to be killed at the top of his lungs like she told me he was like you know six inches to 12 inches away from her face, like screaming. And she's never met this guy. She's just sitting at the table quietly, comes up and says, you're going to be killed. And she took yeah. that as a very direct threat. It's probably worth pointing out that Allie and at least one other person, maybe even two, um, were there that day. And they were so scared about this all. They were literally so scared they didn't even want to be plaintiffs yeah, on this action. Like they they had reservations about, yeah. they, they just wanted to run away. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I understand. I don't it. mean that to sound rude or whatever. No, no, but, like, I, but you understand it, right? It's a scary thing. For sure. You know, yeah. I mean, these folks have proven very retributive and we saw today. They're also, they've also unfortunately proven to be dishonest. Yeah, um, definitely. And I want to give, I want to give Sheriff Noel the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I also don't want to be completely naive or how did you put it today? Gullible. That's what you said about me, Jeremy. <laughs> maybe, in, in maybe, uh, naive, gullible, uh, you have faith optimistic. in human beings to a fault. Maybe I'll put it that way. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't want to say that. Which I'm lying. probably too far in the opposite extreme. So. Really? I don't see you, you as too cynical. Well, um, I I definitely do. Like, I'll huh. I'll put it this way. You know, I watched your closing statement. Yeah. You know, at your trial, and I honestly did find it really personally moving. Yeah. And you know, you put yourself out on a limb in a way that I would be too cynical to. Huh. Interesting. I'll put it that way. Like okay. when you actually said to the jury, 
It was very moving, though. Yeah. But when you said to the jury, you know, something along the lines of, I don't want you to acquit me because you find some technical legal argument. Yeah. I want you to because it's the right thing to do and because, you know, you know, you just made a really impassioned speech. And yeah, I meant it, too. Yeah, I, I can tell you meant it. I, everyone could tell you meant it. Yeah. Everyone could tell you meant it. And I'm probably... I've reached some point where I'm too cynical to even be able to, <laughs> to honestly, sort of you know, or to think that it would resonate, yeah. you know, but, but it did. It did. I think it it did. worked this time. Yeah. yeah. So let's get to that too. I want to, so just go, you all have a preview of this, this podcast. Cause you know, Jeremy and I could go in a thousand different directions. My plan is we're going to talk about the hearing today in the lawsuit. Cause you've been more involved in that than anybody, you know, like you're, you're really taking the lead on this, which I'm really appreciative because I think it's an important lawsuit. And then I just want to go day th- by day through the entire trial. And just okay. walk through everything because I think you probably noticed things I didn't because I was so just the trial the was riveting. Someone should write a book about it. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was riveting for me too. Also, completely exhausting, and I'm still it was exhausting to watch. Exhausted it. right now, but um, but talking about these things energizes me. So, um, so Curtis gets gets harassed. There are these death threats. One of the reasons I think he's willing to push it harder is because he's seen some of his people like, you know basically harassed and intimidated to the point they're weeping uncontrollably. So he's pissed. He calls you up and says, they're telling us to leave town. What's your next step? Do you call a lawyer immediately? You obviously tell them to record. How does this all get started? Yeah. And, you know, I think Curtis is also upset because, you know, a couple of these people, including him, came a long way to yeah, do this did. outreach. They came, they invested significant time and resources, yeah. um, you know, and that, that needs to be said. Like, people really did have a sincere desire to conduct substantial outreach there that day. And it was Damages. thwarted. Damages for real though. Damages, I mean, it was, my it was thwarted. Yeah, it was we thwarted. invested in a really nice new canopy that we yeah, couldn't really use, and yeah. um, so you know that so people were upset that they couldn't carry out their plans that they course, should have a lawful right why. to. But yeah, so he calls me, says to film everything. There was a small part of me in the back of my mind that wondered if he was exaggerating a little bit. I'm going to be completely yeah. honest with you because <laughs> I have heard activists exaggerate things before. Oh, of course, we all do. Yeah, I mean, and not so, everybody, but most of us do. I thought that at the time. Yeah. But then later on, I you watched the, the footage yeah. and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I remember you reached out to this. I was just like, you were I like, have this never... is like a, you, you literally told me this is like a first amendment educational case. Like, well, it's so literally bad. when we were in St. George, the Washington County <laughs> Sheriff, yeah, someone from the Washington County it. Sheriff's Office told us that they show the, the video, video from Beaver County as an instructional <laughs> video of what not, not to, to do, do. <laughs> um, which I can believe. I mean, the, the you know, they were yeah. just saying they everything wrong. They were, they you know some of what they said was just textbook heckler's veto which, you know, just really quick, what a heckler's veto is. You know what's funny is heckler's veto, I feel like, is in the news a lot in right-wing media uh-huh, uh-huh. about college campuses, yeah, frankly, uh-huh. and, and some of the some of the problematic and stuff on the left right now. And it, yeah, is, legit. it is legit. Like, I you know, heck, legit heckler's veto is like Ann Coulter comes to UC Berkeley and, <laughs> sorry to use this expression, but hey. triggers the libs, uh-huh. triggers the libs a little hey, bit. It wasn't and, Ann Coulter, it was Milo. I think it was both. I think Ann they Coulter, both did it. Ann Coulter, Milo, each of these things... And so UC Berkeley says, because people are so upset, these people are here, yeah. they're creating a public safety concern, therefore you need to leave campus and not speak. Yeah. That is not allowed. The government cannot say your speech is upsetting people so much that it's creating, it's giving rise to a safety issue, therefore you can't speak. And that applies to Berkeley because it's a public school. If that's right. That applies. When, that's exactly so right. Just it so applies, you know, yep. if you go to Harvard, unfortunately, you know. <clears throat> yep. Your, your speakers will be subject to the heckler's veto and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, although there may be other issues that come into play if Harvard kind of creates... Takes public money or something. 
Well, it's also just how they treat their campus. If they oh, start to treat their campus as a public, public space, forum, yeah. then then there can be like almost contractual issues. Is that, that a rise? federal issue though? That's it a, probably wouldn't a, be. So it's a contractual it issue or, or yeah. state state statutory. Like a, a student, if there's like a conservative student group, yeah, that says like you know you're allowing the liberal student group to bring in speakers, but you're not allowing us to oh, bring in the speakers. So there could be a, like some sort of contract claim. Yeah, sort of. In like California, you group. also have prune yard. You know, which that's you're, right. You're probably aware of which basically creates some limited First Amendment rights, and it's been severely gutted, you know, yep. much to our friend Matthew Strugar's chagrin. But Pruneyard has been severely gutted by the California Supreme Court. But in theory, at least, it gives you some basic First Amendment rights, even on private property that's open to the public. And that derives, my understanding is that derives from California's state constitution. Yeah, it's a state constitutional case. Um, so that yeah. doesn't really apply in other states where the First Amendment does apply. Yeah. But So anyway, so I watched the video. And like, this and is Heckler's veto. But why Heckler's is it Heckler's veto? Because... Because the, the, the police were literally telling Curtis yeah. that you need to leave town because there have been layoffs here and people are so upset and you're rubbing salt in the wound. People are so upset with you. We can't guarantee someone's not going to hurt you yeah. because you're upsetting people so much. I mean, these are like words that kind of trigger people who are educated the First Amendment to start thinking about the First Amendment. Yeah. You know, the, if, if your people are getting upset based on the content of your speech, uh -huh. Based on the fact that you're talking about Smithfield, and therefore this is rubbing salt in a wound because of what you're saying, that's not a legitimate basis to shut someone down. You could yeah. shut someone down if there's a reasonable time, place, manner issue, if they're you know impeding traffic, or if they're trespassing. Things like that can sometimes be a legitimate basis to stop speech, stop speech activity, but... Not just the fact that what you're saying is pissing people off. Yeah, can't just like, be unpopular. Because that kind of defeats the point of the First Amendment. Exactly. <laughs> if you have a heckler's veto, you just don't have free speech so, anymore. And I'll, like, I'll break it down this way, yeah, too. Because it's one easy of the, to have free speech when it's a popular thing to say. Exactly. You know, so one the heckler's of the most, veto really pretty much is whether free speech exists. So one of the most famous First Amendment cases that maybe some people have even heard about was Skokie. Oh. And in Skokie, Illinois, which is... I say Brandenburg. Oh, well, there's Skokie that too. Skokie is also very famous. But yeah, Skokie, Illinois was um, home to, my understanding was a very large Jewish community, including a lot of Holocaust survivors, yeah. people who literally survived concentration camps. There were yeah, a lot of people who lived there. I've been to Skokie. Yep, suburb of Chicago. And there were neo-Nazi groups that wanted to march through this neighborhood with swastikas. Mm -hmm. You know, pe people who lived in these neighborhoods who literally the last time they saw a swastika was when they were a getting a number tattooed on their arm yeah. and their friends were being led to gas chambers, yeah, things like that. Up. Supreme Court, or maybe it wasn't the Supreme Court, but the court said, essentially, that Skokie had to allow that. Yeah. Skokie had to allow, and is you know I agree with that decision. I think they did have to allow that. They did have to allow neo-Nazis to march in neighborhoods of concentration camp survivors. So my point is, if, if that has to be allowed, then I'm sorry, but if people can't be triggered by talking about pigs being abused at Smithfield to the point where that speech is disallowed. Um, that's that's ir that's illegitimate. Yeah, that that Skokie case is really famous because the ACLU got behind it, and it's the Village of Skokie versus National Socialist Party of America three, I think it is. Okay. And um, is it is it a Supreme Court case or is it a? <clears throat> I don't know if it even got that far. Um, to be mm, honest, I think be. eventually the city. No, it is four thirty two okay. U.S. forty three. Landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court dealing with freedom of speech and freedom of assembly. Blah, blah, blah. Supreme Court ruled 5-4. Interesting. Pretty close. Okay. So um, Interesting. Yeah, but it's pretty interesting because uh, Glenn Greenwald has written about this all the time because he's obsessed with criticizing the ACLU nowadays. 
But the ACLU very famously, despite being an organization that has a lot of Jewish people in it, and I think at the time when they they actually wrote briefs in support of the Nazi Party yep. <laughs> of the United States, uh, they were led by a Jewish person at the time. I think his family even had Holocaust virus in it, but they were yep. so dedicated to the principle of free speech, they said, no, you know, even in Skokie and even with Nazis, we want these people to have free speech. And... You know, Glenn has argued that the ACLU has gone in a dramatically different direction now. Uh, yeah, I'd is, probably agree. Is, is is really just about, in many <clears throat> cases, yeah. stopping speech. You know, going after people like Ann Coulter or Milo when we disagree with what they had to say. I think the I haven't AC, followed yeah. it closely enough. I will say uh, the people I know at the ACLU, uh, granted the people I know tend to be free speech people, but like Ben Wisner, David Cole, these are like very principled, dedicated free speech advocates. And they support animal rights too, which says a lot because... You know, most free speech advocates don't think of animal rights and animal rights activists as part of their movement. But yeah, some of the folks in the ACLU do. So. I, I think I recall, though, what, what troubled me about the ACLU is I think a lot of it happened after Charlottesville. Um, yeah. You know, and that was obviously a traumatic incident. I get that the emotions were running hot. But I remember the ACLU said that they were going to have a bit of a policy change and they they would consider no longer representing First Amendment clients if they espoused speech that ran contrary to their values. values yeah. That was what the ACLU said. And that's, you know, the, the First Amendment is your value. That yeah. That's supposed to be one of the values that you're there fighting for. And so I think the ACLU probably ran into this problem that, that I think probably a lot of nonprofits run into, which is they, you know, they, they depend on positive public image to some degree. And sure. there's going to be a tension there between wanting to have a positive public image, so you're getting a lot of donations and support from the community, and at the same time, representing clients that are appear villainous sure. and are very unpopular, which has to be the job of a civil liberties organization. I think yeah, you yeah. have to take on those clients, but you you know that may cost you a little bit in terms of public image. And I'm sure that's a difficult balance to strike for an organization like that. All right. So here's a question for you: When you become a lawyer, I won't even say if, but when you become a lawyer, <laughs> Jeremy, because Jeremy's, did you already take the LSAT? Or are you? Taking I did it? take okay, the LSAT. Taking the LSAT, or already taking the LSAT, applying for law school this fall, right? Yep. And the only person I think in my life that I've ever thought, I actually don't even think I'd recommend law school for you, <laughs> but I don't think it's unreasonable. Okay. Like for most people, I'm like, honestly, it's unreasonable for you to go to law school. You're going to rack up a lot of debt. You're not going to enjoy it. You're going to be a miserable person afterwards. It's not a good path. Um, but uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say now because I'm so tired. <laughs> you're so I know I was saying sure. you're one of the few people and maybe the only person I know I think it's reasonable to have gone to law school. Uh, we were talking about the ACLU. You said when you go to law school. That was how you started this whole train of thought. I don't remember what I was saying. No. Okay. That's when you point. go to law school. And what were we talking about right before that? <clears throat> I didn't sleep at all last night for the record, This folks. is true. And we, I just went through a six-hour hearing. Was that about six hours, seven hours maybe? At least, yeah. It seven was a long hearing. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what were we talking about? We were talking about the ACLU, Charlottesville. I don't know. And that's, oh, I, here's the question. Okay. Not when you go to law school, but after you graduate from law school, Jeremy, and you become a lawyer, here's the moment of truth. Would you represent a Nazi? Um, in a civil rights case. They bring you a 1983 action. The first time rights have been violated. <laughs> I don't know. That's just my huh. honest answer. I'm right. sure I'd have to weigh some of those same considerations, right? right. Your reputation is going to be, that's the Nazi sure. lawyer. And um, so, in other so words, I get that. you're just as much of a coward as the modern ACLU. <laughs> well, kidding, kidding. if if I staked out an organization that one of the core That's principles yeah, you was were First not Amendment, the ACLU. yeah. So you know. if you were an ACLU attorney, would you represent the Nazis? 
I, I would think you that would. the organization should maybe take that case. So you would, and would you do it yourself though? Like as an ACLU attorney? I might. Really? I might. Okay. I might. Well, you're putting your money where your mouth is then. Yep. Uh, we're running, we're kind of going a far field from the original topic, which is, so how did, how did you start? I mean, so someone's out there, they're listening to this podcast, they're thinking, damn, that happened to me too. So I want you to give them some advice. Like, what did you do? How did you start this lawsuit? <clears throat> okay. So obviously, like I said, I told them to film everything. Film yeah. as much as you can. Don't ever turn that camera off. Make sure you're getting good footage too, or you can pick up everything, all the audio, whatever they're saying. Mm-hmm. Don't meekly film. I've seen activists do that because they're shy about filming. Yeah. Be proud and open about filming. Yeah. So that you get as much as you can. And, and then get I, that mic close to the audio source. As yep. an audio person, I will tell you, the closer you get to the audio source, I mean, you can do some edits and amplification to try and pick up audio, but sometimes you can't pick it up and you need it. You need those words. Yep. And um, I also remember, you know, giving people a recommendation to type up a narrative of everything that happened. Because I knew some stuff probably wouldn't be captured on film. And, um, you know, the first thing I mostly remember was saying, we need to find a lawyer. Um, huh. This was the first civil... That's right. We didn't yeah. have an attorney in place yet. Because we didn't have... I mean, obviously, we didn't have Kara. Because this is the yeah. first case we've done with Kara. You know, the, the previous two attorneys that I worked with on cases like this in Utah have both passed away. Yeah, that's really And, sad. you know, I had... Uh, there was a void. There really was. And I didn't know who to turn to. This is Stuart and Brian, right? Yep. Stuart Gollin and Brian Barnard have both passed away. So I wasn't sure where to turn to. And I think we reached out to... Mary Corporon, who was Paul's defense attorney in your criminal yeah. case, and she said, I've got a colleague down the hall, and I had never heard the name before Before that. Kara yeah, the Porter. reason this happened is because I heard about it, and I passed it on to Mary and Liz just because I thought, hey, you all probably should know that they're threatening to kill people in Beaver County, and we're going to court there. So, And yeah. Mary was like, this is not just outrageous. This is actually an incredible opportunity for my partner right down the hall. Yeah, because that also raises questions about you and Paul's criminal case because yeah. you have to get a fair jury. And if the community, <laughs> we had the sheriff on video saying the community hates you all so much that I can't even protect you yeah, as a law enforcement you. officer. How the hell are you going to get a free, tr- a fair trial there? Yeah. If the cops saying I can't stop people from killing you. <laughs> um, and so I think that was one of the main basis for the trial being moved to Washington County, yeah, it did. I which was like, probably was honestly, honestly really important the, for the, your no, acquittal. I think it probably was. I and so it's weird really to think important. about all this sequence of events. Like if people hadn't gone down yeah. to Pioneer Day and, and just then tried I to communicate to right the now. community, you could be in prison right now. Yeah. So um, Does that it, mean I owe you my freedom? And is, <laughs> do I become like a chattel you know, of yours now? Am I like an indentured servitude? I just think it means because there's, there's a lot of... My freedom belongs to Jeremy now. No, the freedom mostly is, is because of you, and I think you know that. But, oh, thank you. But there's a lot of serendipity in this world. No, for sure. I, I agree. I don't think we that, win in Washington County. Um, or in Beaver County. Or in Beaver County. Yeah. So, okay, so but this is actually interesting, though, because this is such a promising case. You know, we had other attorneys. Like, we reached out to Matthew Strugar, and he was potentially interested in doing this one, right? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. But just how it shook out, you know, we, we need to get a Utah attorney. Yeah, that, yeah, that's how it works. One way or another, you need at least one. Yeah, so exactly. So they can pro someone in, which yep. just means basically. And, you know, I just think we had some, you know, initial conversations with Kara, and I think that we all felt good about her, and I still feel great about her. Yeah. To be honest, I thought she did excellent today. I thought she was great, too. And so and um, she's got a lot of, good she's a heavy it. lifter in Utah, from what I understand. Her firm, which is Mary Corporan's firm, too, is a pretty well-known firm. Yep. In Utah, they have a lot of connections. Even the judge, she argued before today. I think she said she's argued before her 40 or 50 times. You know, they're buddy-buddy. And I got the sense the judge favored her a little bit, to be honest. Um, well, only because hearing. of the strength of the arguments, not yeah. any kind of bias or anything. All right. I mean, am I not supposed to say these things? All right. 
No, Kara, that's Kara hears this, she's going to kill me. I, I, I mean, the judge I think is being fair, truly. You no, know, I, I thought the judge was being fair just because the the other side's arguments were so bad. It just didn't, yeah. it didn't matter. I mean, like, honestly, we didn't need a great attorney today because they did such a poor job. Like, they basically made the case for us in court, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, but I think personal relationships always make a difference. I don't care how unbiased the judge pretends to be. Um, you know, if an attorney's argued a lot of cases, has a... Sure. A reputation at a particular jurisdiction or court, you know, they're going to get away with stuff more than other people are. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you find Kara, you sit down. How do you decide this is a good case? You know, what's, what's your analysis and how do you go through the process? Because a lot of people have some interaction with the cops or some other government official and think, man, I feel like my lights are violated. How yeah. did you determine this is a good case? Well, I just know a little bit about First Amendment law, and it goes back to what you said earlier in our conversation, which was that the sidewalk is, you know, where speech is protected the most. Yeah. And for them to limit your speech there, it has to intersect with a really significant governmental interest. Um, and it can't be based on the content of your message. And I just, once I watched the video of how those police conducted themselves, it was so clear that their actions that day were motivated by what they were saying. Yeah. not how they were saying it. They were just standing on a public sidewalk having conversations with people just like hundreds or thousands of people were doing that day talking about the weather or the how fun the festivities are. We can all do the exact same thing and solicit conversations about a controversial topic as well. Yeah, um, sure. And uh, that has the same level of protection. And so the fact that the police, you know, shut it down on that basis was it was just a clear abridgment of our rights yeah. that we should have. Okay, so you filed a suit. I think it's in maybe early August. It was filed. yeah, it was maybe really in quick. Late July. I mean, yeah. you know, it it was you know the incident happened July twenty third. I I think it was within like a week or two. And why was it so fast? I don't even well, remember. because you don't have to. The statute of limitations on a nineteen eighty three action is probably a yeah, year but or two. What, people were too scared to go back there again, and we yeah, wanted to go back there, especially because yeah. we knew that this this trial was happening there, and it was a high profile incident. Yeah, so we a wanted lot of to, to be able to talk about it in the community where it was occurring. Yeah, um, because it's a, a high profile issue and to be chilled about this hugely controversial aspect is a huge uh, injury under the First Amendment. And so, yeah. we, you know, there was a, an urgency to get uh, an injunction, which is basically an order from the court saying you have to let them come back. Yeah. And so and we can't just had interfere to with their First Amendment rights or yep. arrest them. Merely and so, you know, them. every day we weren't in court saying, Your Honor, we need a we need a court order mm -hmm. was another day that we would be too scared to go back there and, and do the same thing again, which we yeah. should have a lawful right to do. Yeah. And I, I could say a lot of people were very legitimately scared, including even our attorneys. You know, after this all unfolded, our attorneys were saying, can you hire us a private security team? You know, they were yeah. like a basically a gang of goons following. I don't know around. if you knew this, but Mary told me she was packing. Really? During the trial. I mean, she couldn't oh, take him to she the court. Was concerned. Yeah. She couldn't take him to court, but she had a firearm with her down yeah. in St. George. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's not nearly as dangerous as Beaver would have been because St. George is, you know, yeah. an hour and a half. She was worried they'd out. come down. She told me that. She's yeah. like, I don't know if these people are going to track me down. And yeah, it's not unreasonable. I mean, yeah. given my experience from yesterday to today. Well, today, how... one of Beaver County's witnesses said, it, back in the old, the good yeah, old I mean, days, he, these people would have been hanged. And then he met me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I actually kind of wanted to turn my camera on and say hi to him. Say like, oh, you mean me? But what's <laughs> wild is this. He, so that was one witness and he met you. But the yeah. fact that Beaver County said, we want this guy to testify, testify on the about record. how he wants to hang. Kind of says something yeah. about the, the broader community that like, this isn't a controversial opinion. Yeah, no. And the, and the maybe the funniest thing is Kara 
cross-examines this guy. And let's talk about what happened today, since we're starting down this path anyways. She says, you know he's been acquitted, right? So he's innocent. Right. He's not guilty. And he's like, yeah, I heard. He's yeah. Like, Does that change your view about whether he should be hanged? He's like, no, he still should die. It's like, damn. Yeah. It's not even about like, you know, excessive punishment. This is just like, I mean, legit vigilanteism. It's like you can't just murder someone because you think they did something wrong. Right. Even when they've been acquitted. But okay, tell us tell us what happens. You file the lawsuit. You know, there's an answer, which is kind of a nonsense document that doesn't even matter that much. How do we get to where we are today? And yeah, what happened today? First of all, well, I know that. So I know the proceedings were delayed at least once at the request of okay. Beaver County. I don't know if they basically wanted to delay it till after your trial was over, but that mm. is kind of how it worked out. So it makes me think maybe that was what it was yeah, about. It might be. But um, so you know, it got delayed to today, which was four days after your verdicts came in of not guilty. And today was, you know, it, it was basically a hearing about whether or not the judge should issue a preliminary injunction. Uh-huh. And a preliminary injunction is is basically saying, while we really hear this court, this case more formally, in the meantime, here's an order telling Beaver County they got to behave themselves. Yep. They got to stop interfering with people when they're conducting free speech activity. And if they don't, there's going to be serious consequences now in, yeah. in federal court even. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's going on offense. It's, it's yep. telling cops, we now have a court order in hand telling you, you need to start respecting our rights. And if you don't, there might be really serious consequences. We could even hold you in contempt. Yeah. So someone could order. be thrown in jail. Like someone an officer could be, could be thrown in jail. If you show them, a a an, an, a, a judicial order and that applies to the conduct they're engaging and they know about it. Contempt does require mens rea. You actually have to know about the order, but you can know about it just simply because someone presents it to you and shows you the order. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it potentially can be quite serious. Yeah. So And it, the thing is, too, is when you, for a judge to issue that, they do have to make a, a determination that the, the plaintiffs have a substantial likelihood of prevailing yeah, on the merits. Yeah. So it's often a little Usually bit Usually means of a, you're going to win. It, it's a good indication that you got yeah, a good shot here. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's it's... And all sides know that. So yep. the other side desperately wants to not have an injunction because yeah. it's it's a window into what's going to happen ultimately. Yeah. So, I mean, this is actually curious. Um, well, not a curious question. Well, maybe it is a curious question, but it's a question. Are 1983 actions usually uh, adjudicated by juries or judges? I guess it's... Uh, old, it's the probably plaintiff, elect the plaintiff, the plaintiff can, can request elect. either. Okay, because um, it's because there's damages at issue, right? It's, yeah, there's monetary although, damages at issue. It's not just injunctive relief you're seeking in most 1983 actions, which which means you're entitled to a federal jury, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, lots of times they get end up getting decided on motions for summary judgment, though. Sure. Yeah, but but there is a right to request a jury trial. Okay. Absolutely. Huh. Okay, so um, you you're filing the preliminary injunction. So what happened today? What what? Why were we in court today? So Beaver County today was there presenting their evidence as to why they don't think a preliminary injunction should be heard, mm-hmm. and um, this also gives us a little bit of a window into what their main defense is going to be to this whole action. Yeah, and they tried to bring in this whole new argument that really had no relevance to that day. <laughs> yeah, it was weird <clears throat> about how this park that the activists were in earlier in the day was actually not a public park. And I want to say, you know, I'm a little skeptical of this because if you go to the Beaver City website, they list this park as a public park. 
Hmm. Um, there's, you know, it says hours of operation for the park. There, it says Beaver City on the sides of the benches. Certainly yeah. appears outwardly to be a public park. Just found out today that there's a lease apparently too. And there's some kind the, of lease. The city some of, the stuff of Beaver apparently is leasing the land <clears throat> and managing the land for the Mormon Church, the, the, the LDS Church. church. Yeah, the LDS Latter-day Church owns Sands. that land. Yeah. So they're claiming that the LDS Church didn't want the animal rights people on their land. And I want to also mention on that same piece of land that looks like it's a public park, there were hundreds and hundreds of people from the community coming and going. Hmm. So according to Beaver's testimony today, the Mormon church just really singled out yeah. animal rights people and said, we don't want these people here on the land having conversations with people. But ultimately all that really didn't matter because what we were there to talk about was the fact that the activists had moved onto the sidewalk by that point for hours yeah. and were conducting outreach on the public sidewalk that's clearly public property. Mm-hmm. And it was there that the police officers showed up and told them they couldn't be. Huh. Um, it really had nothing to do with with whatever happened earlier on a public park, which it sounds to me like as soon as people were informed that they weren't allowed to be there, they very promptly moved. Yeah. yeah. So there's not really an issue there, but Beaver's trying to make it an issue. Yeah. So tell me what happened today that you found interesting. I'll make some comments too. Well, you know, they they brought in a number of people who were there to celebrate the Pioneer Day and... Who all basically said the same damn thing. <laughs> yeah, they all basically said... <laughs> we don't like these people. I yeah. wish they were out of town, you know, basically, you know, we're they, not welcome here. They, you know, they brought in a number of people to say it made me very angry and upset to see these people here talking about Smithfield. Um, and, yeah, and, and, you know, again, I'm not sure what the point of all that was. Yeah. Speech can make people angry. Um, that's not an excuse to shut some speech down. Yeah. The fact that it upsets some people. Sometimes that's the point of speech, in fact. So, you know, it. I, I don't know what all of that was about other than... All you the know, civilian witnesses were, to me, almost completely irrelevant, except one. You know, we had Candace Smith, who is relevant, honestly, because she repeated hearsay uh-huh. <laughs> that we didn't object to because it was good. <laughs> <laughs> but she basically said that a, a deputy told her or she heard a deputy say, you know, on July 23rd, oh, it's totally fine for you to be here in this park. Because their strategy now is apparently to say, even though it's not recorded on tape at all, and there's no documents yeah. or any other evidence suggests this is actually why they charged Curtis and why they're harassing the activists in Beaver County on that day. Their theory now is that park that we were just talking to that's subject to the lease, that apparently the town leases that has these benches that say Beaver City, but it's actually just owned by the LDS Church. That park, according to Cameron Noel and Beaver County's attorney in this case, was the site of a horrible crime. (laughs) (laughs) Some animal rights actors trespassed, and they trespassed again, and they just wouldn't stop. Uh They wouldn't stop, so we had to tell them we're going to kill you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, And that's apparently their theory. And it's a weird theory because, again, you have like an hour of footage, and I think you gone through the transcript very yeah. carefully like recorded every word and if this is your theory you'd think there'd be some evidence of the deputies actually saying at some point don't go in the park right right and they don't say that at all it's really just about stopping people's speech it's not about preventing them from trespassing on I, the church's I, I think all of this business with the park appears to me to be a post hoc yeah rationalization they, they sat down probably long after this whole thing happened after we filed the lawsuit and said what's, yeah, what's our, our excuse going to be yeah. What's our excuse going to be? Because we can't just say that we wanted them to leave because we didn't like them. We know we can't say this. We got to find something, and this is yeah. what they. This it's is what a they found. Strategy. But, yeah, but the good news is, should you I know, even say what I think the right strategy is? Maybe <clears> no, I don't say, say that because right. we're still in litigation. I, I told you this by chat. 
Yeah. Remember I told you? But let's not even go okay. there. Let's just let things play <laughs> out. But the let's judge, play out. the judge, I almost don't think it matters because they already are on the record saying what their stupid strategy is, and it doesn't work. The but. judge is, you know, luckily reviewing the evidence very carefully. Yeah, she is. You know, and so she's you know, a good. Sounded judge. to me like she watched a lot of the body cam footage. The body cam footage says it all. I really yeah. think it does. I think that yeah, the witnesses aren't gonna. And I, Kara made this point at the start. You know, we don't really need these witnesses, and we have the video footage that shows us yeah. exactly what happened on that day. But we had a bunch of witnesses that were just like citizens from the community. I thought all of them were mostly irrelevant. Candace Smith was probably the most interesting to me because she did say, like, and not even on cross examination. This is this is on the Beaver County Attorney or their their. Outside counsel. I think he's outside counsel. Yeah, right? he's outside counsel. So outside counsel, he examined one of their own witnesses who said, oh, yeah, there was a deputy who told them it was okay to be there. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. That's like, this is the opposite of your case. Well, also, Sergeant Woolsey today, right before we went to lunch, I don't know if people caught this. Hmm. We'll we'll get the transcript, and I'll point it out again. But he, he explicitly said, yeah, I told him to leave the sidewalk. Yeah, he did. I so know. that was his last line. Yeah. And so there yeah. you go. And he also said it was the policy of Beaver Beaver County. You know, as far as I could tell, what I was doing that day, and that directly contradicted their attorney's argument at the start yeah. of court. He was saying, Oh, you can't bring a First Amendment claim because it was just this one off rogue cop. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can't you can't ask for an injunction. And it's like I think this is their fallback position, by the yeah, way. It's like even if you think we're losing, yeah, you can't punish him guy. too hard because it was, was yeah. you know, and so it's you know, but I I, I want to take a step back and just say you know, I'm I'm I think this is I'm relishing a little bit this past week because four days ago we thought there was a chance that you'd be behind bars and that Beaver County right now would be pushing putting out a press release about yeah. you know we've cracked down on these extremists who are terrorizing our community yeah and, and now instead, proving they're harassing us too and, you know and, and it would be a really sad away. thing we'd be hearing them tarnish your name and you're sitting in a jail cell and we're thinking about how do we get you vegan food i've been there i've had friends in prison sure. and um you know it sucks trying to figure out how to support them and yeah, for sure. and and you know it's just just going through that whole traumatic incident and instead here we are four days later the tables have really turned dramatically know. you know you, you you guys were able to accomplish a remarkable acquittal and now here they are desperately fighting to not lose the civil case where Beaver County could be on the line for some really significant damages. Yeah. And so, you know, now we're on offense and they're on defense. And um, it's just really, really poetic. If they keep going at this rate, wasting the amount of time they wasted today and forcing the amount of briefing, because it's not just the seven hours we spent on the hearing today. It's seven hours of transcripts, yep. which will be more expensive in a civil case. That transcript is probably going to cost $1,000, $1,500. Just the transcript. Yeah. Um, and then you've got attorneys who have to review the transcript. And again, when you have a seven-hour transcript, that's a lot of time. Yep. Someone's probably going to have to spend maybe a couple days reviewing that transcript for the post-trial brief. So I, I don't understand Beaver's strategy here. I imagine outside counsel is probably being paid by the hour, so he's probably I pretty... think, honestly, they might be making decisions based on emotion. Yeah. Honestly, and not like I, I think they're just so upset at everything, you know, and they're probably even more upset now because they yeah, weren't able to put lost. you behind bars. They weren't able to put you behind bars and yeah, they, so they, they feel like they got to win. They, they got to win somewhere, yeah. but they, you know, it can be hard to, you know, this happens in poker too, where people can have a sunk cost bias. Yeah. And they can, you know, they can just not realize when they're losing and cut their losses, you know? Yeah, for sure. Okay. What else did you observe today that you thought was interesting? And this argument for the preliminary hearing. Any witnesses, any arguments that you found interesting? You know, I, I think we've covered most of it. Um, you know, and we're still at a pretty early stage of this. There's going to be some briefing. We, we didn't get a decision today. 
on the preliminary injunction, but that's okay. Yeah. I honestly well, it's because there's me. a pending motion to dismiss, and <clears throat> yeah, you know, and the, also the there was an issue with that, we have yeah. we have to create some uh, basically template language uh-huh. that we would like the order to look like, yep, and so yeah. there's just a couple more steps in this process. Yeah, um, but you think we're gonna win? I'm feeling really good about it for okay. sure. Yeah, I mean, I and that's mostly just based on the the bare facts of this case. It's yeah. just. They, they don't have a lot to work with, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to win, too. And and the main reason I think we're going to win, I mean, the facts and the fact that the law is very good for us, both the facts and the law on this are very good for us, help. But if you just watch the judge today, I mean, the judge almost felt like counsel for our side. <laughs> and the way she was cross-examining, you know, and, and I mean, she wasn't really cross-examining, but she was asking very tough questions of Frank... What's the guy's name? Mylar. Mylar? That's yeah, the attorney for a, uh, the defendants. I mean, I'm sure he's a good guy. He's not a very good attorney. He just doesn't. Because <laughs> um, he was making like the same three arguments over and over and over again. For like, it must have been an hour. Was it an hour? It felt like that. It, it was it a was long time. It was so yeah. long. It was like the same three damn arguments, you know? Yeah. It's not a policy. It's one guy. You know, they trespassed and they harassed people. Yeah. Those are the three things. Yeah. And it's like, he's okay, I heard you. And then yeah. the judge kept saying, what's the evidence? You know, yeah. what's the evidence that Curtis specifically, because Curtis is the one who was charged. What's the evidence that you saw him trespass? Did anyone say anything about Curtis specifically trespassing and that being their basis for the charge against him? They couldn't come up with anything. Right. You know, harassment. You've got a bunch of their own witnesses saying, oh, these people are very polite. You know, like yep. the mayor of, of Beaver, the city. Which we learned said, today, by the way, the mayor works of at Beaver Smithfield. works at Smithfield. We uh, learned that for the first time today. Town. So, incestuous I mean, it, town. it kind of explains a lot. I mean, honestly, Smithfield, they just have immense influence on yeah, our government, do. you know? And, you know, it's that's that's why we're in this whole fight, really. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it was just I, like, I, he, he shot his own case. I actually think probably the best evidence that came out from today's hearing on all three of those points for us came out in direct when when the state's own attorney was interviewing their witnesses. Mm-hmm. Right? It didn't come out in cross. Well, actually, maybe some of it came There were some cross. good moments in cross. No, I'm not saying Kara wasn't effective. Uh, I'm just saying yeah. you can't be as effective as the other side when the other side shoots themselves. Do you remember the moment when Kara said, you know, to Cameron Noel, this is the sheriff. This is the guy uh-huh. at the top of the law enforcement there. And she goes, have you reviewed the body cam footage of the incidents that are subject to this lawsuit? Have you watched the body cam footage? And he almost proudly said, no, I haven't watched any of it. Uh-huh. And she said, well, what's it going to take for you to watch your body cam footage? You're getting sued. <laughs> yeah, and that was like, I mean, that was just almost like... broken laughter. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, we, did, we had to like hold back our laughter because we were on the mic. But uh-huh. we looked at each other. And we're both like... Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It's just true, though, right? Do you think I that's mean, true? Do you think he actually hasn't watched it? Yeah, do you think he? Okay. I do. I I just think that. You know, I was thinking he might have just said that because he didn't want to get impeached by it. You know, so if we played something from it that was wrong, he could say, "I'm sorry, my recollection wasn't correct. You, I just didn't see it." Because he says so many things that are false. I think you you assume everyone is as hyper rational as you. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I don't maybe think he not. was thinking that far ahead. Yeah, probably not, given what I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I will say, I, I, I think I spoke incorrectly. I think two out of the three categories of evidence that were crucial on harassment and on trespass, I think came out in direct. You know, like the trespass stuff, you could say a couple things, but I think the the brandy dude or the black, what's the guy's name? Black Blackner or Blackner. something like that. Well, there was a Blackner and there was also a Black. I think there was yeah, Deputy so, Black and then some... So definitely Candace Smith's testimony was really good for us when the deputy, when she said the deputy chief of the Beaver County Sheriff's yeah. Department said, oh, no, they're entitled to be in the park, you know, because that yeah. totally destroys their argument about trespass. And then I think, and it came out in direct as well, that the guy who was running 
or at least whose name was on the leaflet for Pioneer Day, when he said, oh, yeah, like I told him it was okay when I was confused about the University of Utah and animal rights activists, because apparently initially he gave them the right to be on the church property because they thought, or he thought, these were University of Utah students doing some sort of survey. Right. Um, And then he took it back, but I thought that was really good evidence. And I think both of those things came out in direct. Yeah, I think that's right. And then on, on the harassment thing, you know, I think I'm pretty sure that stuff all came out in direct too. You know, yeah. like the 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 stake leader or bishop or whatever his name is saying, Oh, they're all very polite. You know, yep. like, you know, I we had a disagreement, but they were very polite. It was reasonable for them to ask for somebody else because they didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. And then the mayor of Berkeley again oh, Berkeley. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the mayor of Berkeley either. <laughs> the mayor of Beaver saying, Yeah, yeah, you know, I talked to them and they're all very calm. You know, so you got the Beaver County attorney or not the county attorney but the outside counsel saying these people are harassing people they're getting in people's faces it's dangerous they're like little children crying and being threatened and then you have literally probably the most two most powerful and you know influential figures in beaver county the the stake leader religious leader and the mayor you know the political leader both saying no these people are polite and kind and great you know i mean this is this these are your witnesses not ours yeah exactly yeah. What a shit so show. we'll see where things go. Yeah. This may be step one of a long winding road, but yeah. I'm feeling good about it. Okay, so let's wind back. We we heard about what happened today. Let's wind back to what happened last week. Cause you were uh one of the people who basically or not just basically, you did actually sit through all the trial until the verdict, right? I I think I might have been the only person in the gallery who the sat through time. every minute of trial, yeah. except for the verdict. I missed the best part. Yeah. But because um, I didn't know it was going to go into Saturday, I never yeah, heard yeah. of Saturday court before that. So uh, before but. we start, have you been through a trial before? Have I been through a trial? Actually, I have. Um, this is a misdemeanor trials involving. So two actually, sets of uh, this is kind of sad to talk about, but a pretty good friend of mine, her sister was murdered. Oh shit! And um, I watched a lot of the trial of, wow. of the person who murdered. Was that her. in Utah? It was in Utah. So Were I, I've convicted? seen. He was actually convicted, and then it was tossed out on appeal, and he was wow. retried, and then he was acquitted. Holy shit! And That's I mean, I, I mean, he was acquitted, so I guess I should. But I mean, to me, it was quite apparent that he did it. He did it. Wow. What's but, the story behind that? I mean, it was basically a domestic. It was oh, it was her no. husband, and Fuck. Uh, so I sat through that most of that trial. Dang. You know, just to be supportive or whatever. So I've yeah. seen a criminal trial in Utah. Did you did you understand the law as well as you do now? Like, were you watching it the way you watched my trial? Um, you know, I definitely learned some stuff from that trial that, you know, I was able to carry over some of that knowledge into your trial. Yeah. But I've always been interested in the legal process. So okay. I, I walked in even to that trial with some understanding. Huh. When was this? 2015. Oh, so it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah. I want to wow. say 2015, maybe 2014. How long like was that. the trial? About a week. Okay, so same length as mine. Yeah. yeah, maybe even a little longer than a week. Actually, it might have been like a week and a half. Seems like a week is like the template length of yeah. a felony trial in Utah. They all, yeah, because Mary was saying this. Yeah, all my trials go week. All the jury judges are trying to get them out by Friday, and it's it's weird and bizarre because cases can be so different. Uh huh. And it just seems like all the judges are trying to all package them into one week. Yeah, know? all the like reasonably complex felony trials. Uh, but yeah, let's just talk about this trial. What were you expecting before you came in? I mean, I th- I think you were expecting it to be interesting, right? You were you were looking forward to to watching this. Yeah, I mean, you and I had had some conversations about some of your legal strategies. Yeah. So I had a little bit of a preview about uh-huh. how um, value is going to come into play. Sure. Um, 
And I also knew a little bit about how the judge had made some determinations that like the Death Star video wasn't going to yep. be played yep. and a lot of the evidence wasn't going to be introduced. And, you know, I, I was hoping that you would still find some creative ways to convey some of that information to the jury. And didn't we? I think you did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Yeah. And so, you know, so I bet, I mean, I didn't know, I thought there was definitely a chance that at some point you might get held in contempt. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't know if you would be able to walk that fine line. Cause that is a fine line. It is a fine line. Yeah. Figuring that out, you know? And so, but you know, did you think I was close in this trial? I think you did a pretty good job, so honestly. Overall, okay. um, I mean, you might have got close, but I don't. I don't think you went over it. And the judge had to be careful too. Yeah, the judge was. He was pretty careful himself in that, as we talked about a little bit earlier in the conversation. I think he definitely had a bias against you. Yeah, and he wanted you convicted, but he knew that if he was too crazy, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it would create a lot of appellate issues. Yeah, and I think he walked that line rather masterfully too, where he huh. wasn't so over the top, especially when the jury was there. Yeah, that you would have had really obvious appellate issues from his conduct. Yeah, <clears throat> so that gave maybe you some I actually don't feel room. like he didn't. He, I mean, I think we we talked about this before, but I don't think he did a masterful job. I think he showed his bias a lot with the jury there with yeah, some of his the clear, jury there for okay. sure. Huh. You know, like again, you know, the time where he said, "No, you can't approach." I don't know if that creates um, an appellate issue, though. It, it no, might if it shows approach. bias. Okay, you know, if you're biased against one of the defendants and the judge is like showing their hand uh, and the way they feel about a defendant, that's that's grounds for you know new trial potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, one of the things you told me that I don't even find I told you this yet, but I, that I took to heart and I think it's true, and that I can say now is, you. do you remember what the advice you told me before trial, what we should try to do? No, tell me. <laughs> I actually don't. So what you told me was, you know what you should really try and do? You should try and just let the jury know there's some things they're not going to see. You know, uh-huh. like make it seem like there's this open question. Because uh-huh. then they're going to be curious about it, and they're going to want to know even more. So you should try and slip in there that you can't see this video. And, I do remember this. And now. I was thinking about this yeah. a lot, and thinking about how to do this. And, well, and I think, on, yeah, if you're yeah, a, yeah, no, and I think we did come up with some good strategies for doing this. Yeah, I think know? so too. No, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the fact that you know, one of the craziest parts of the trial was, um, you had a photograph you wanted to show of one of the piglets. I forget if it was Lily or Lizzie. It was Lizzie. Lizzie nursing on a, a mutilated teat. Yeah, and the judge actually said you have to get scissors out yeah. and cut out the mom pig with the teat and just have Lizzie. Yeah. And so, you know, you had to hand this obviously altered thing to the jury <laughs> yeah. and it's just, and any person is going to go, what's in the other half of this? Yeah. That I can't Oh, it wasn't see. half. It was two thirds or, or two thirds. Right. Whatever it was. Paul did and the so, cutting, right? Paul, it was like three fourths of that piece of paper was gone. There was like a little slip yeah. of paper left. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know that that on the whole, <laughs> help the state it didn't you know well you know i honestly the footage is awful enough and actually what happened in that particular exhibit and we're jumping ahead a little bit i want to kind of go chronologically through the entire trial and get your feedback on everything and genuinely i'm just kind of interested in your take on everything because i haven't really talked to jeremy that much about it we have a big meeting coming up by the way where we're going to break down as you suggested just everything that happened you should definitely come to that okay but um what happened was initially I, i i was planning to play a video and the judge said, no, you can't play the video. Pull a screenshot. And so I said, oh, judge, you know, luckily enough, we actually did have a screenshot. And he looks at the screenshot and said, all right, never mind. You can't play the screenshot either. You have to play part of the screenshot or show part of the screenshot. And I said, your honor, you know, I have these nice printed exhibits out. I can't replace them. You know, and I, you know, what am I going to do? I don't have like 
Photoshop on my fingers or a printer right. in my nose that I can just shoot out a new exhibit. Um, and honestly, but this is one of the examples of me thinking, yeah, Jeremy's kind of right. Let's let's not, because we could have actually. I think Paul even said, "Oh, I can modify this and I can go to Photoshop." I was like, "No, let's not do that." You know, the judge is making us gag the exhibit and you know make it ridiculous. So let's show the jury this is kind of ridiculous. And this is one of the examples of me kind of like listening to your advice and thinking, "Yeah, Jeremy's right. Let's 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 leave these little cues so the jury understands." They're being denied important information. And, and what that does is actually it ends up drawing their attention to that, even if yeah. they can't see it. You know, there's this thing called the Streisand effect. Have you yeah. heard of that? Wow, for sure. Yeah, you know, this has its origins in like defamation Barbara Streisand cases, had right? some, what now? I think it's a defamation case. Maybe it was a defamation case. I think case. it's a defamation case. I, but she she said that she didn't want photos of some mansion she owned on Google Maps, I think, or some uh-huh, similar uh-huh. website. And... What this did is, you know, this was filed in a public court. I don't want pictures of my house out there. Yeah, yeah. And what did that naturally make every reporter, every entertainment reporter in the world want to do is go, what the hell's up with her house? Yeah. Why does she care so much if the outside (laughs) of her house, everyone's outside of their house is, so she had like, you know, just huge hordes of reporters driving by her house, taking photos of it. There were photos circulating like crazy. Now, you can't quite do that here. Yeah. But it still draws people attention when they're like, what is it they don't want me to see? I'll make one. One more quick analogy. <clears throat> One time I was involved with a FOIA request. Huh. Okay. And tell, tell people what a FOIA request is. Freedom of Information Act. It okay. allows you to get records held by government agency. You know, so there are some times when they can redact information mm-hmm. from it though. They can black out certain lines. But the default is all government documents. The in presumption is openness. available to the public. Right. Unless can they can show good cause for yeah. why something should be withheld. Mm-hmm. So one time <laughs> I was actually accidentally given. Um, a copy of like hundreds of pages of records. No, this is what happened. I'm sorry. Let me back up. What happened was this. It was actually an NIH grant to an animal experimenter. And what happens when the NIH gets a FOIA request, they say, here's all the responsive records we have. Here's hundreds of pages relating to describing your experiment on cats. And they actually hand it off to the experimenter. And they say, we want you to mark, we want you to redact what you think we should redact. But the agency gets the ultimate determination. And when they gave me the records, they actually gave it to me unredacted. I got huh. hundreds of pages unredacted, hundreds and hundreds. But then what I did was I did something called FOIAing the FOIA. Huh. I said, I want all the correspondence about my prior request. Yeah. And I got the copy of what the experimenter wanted redacted. Huh. And this was so helpful because yeah. I got this huge stack of records. It was hundreds and hundreds of pages of technical jargon. I would have never known what was noteworthy in there. Until I saw what the experimenter didn't want them to release. I was like, okay, what did he want redacted? Interesting. And then I went back and looked at that and I'm like, oh, I see why he wanted this redacted. You know, and so it's like, it's sometimes what what, what people don't want you to see can tell you what you should look at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, did you catch the main way I was trying to make clear that the video, you know, there was a video that was not being played? I mean, I just heard you many times. I did say it. A you lot said of video. You said the word yeah. video, and you said I think you even said Death Star a couple times. And you mentioned yeah. like and did the New York Times. You mentioned the word New York Times quite a few times. So basically, I decided ahead of time that I would object to any screenshots or any references to the video on the grounds of what's called the best evidence rule, right? Which is it's a rule that says if there is. If there is a better form of the evidence at issue, it should be presented. And you know, one of the nice things 
for our objection on the grounds that the best evidence isn't being presented is the prosecution itself in its own summary document says the video is the best evidence of the crime, not just of the video. I mean, and there were many, many references to the video, you know, people saying, I watched the video and this is what I saw, or, you know, here's a screenshot of the video. And I was objecting over and over again saying objection, your honor, you know, we should just play the video. We should yeah. just play the video. And I think, yep. I think it got to the jury. I stopped doing this after like day two, you know, I didn't do it. It was quite so as much. constant. Yeah, because I was constantly saying, "Your Honor, we should just play the video. We should just play the video." And it became clear to everyone because the video was already such a big part of the testimony. It became clear to the jury which side wanted transparency, and which side was trying to gag. Yeah. You know? So, and I think that was pretty effective. Like the the jurors we've talked to, I don't want to go into details, specific details of those communications because they don't want those specific details known. But I will say, I think we have a pretty good sense that jurors. We're not feeling great about the fact that so much was being covered up. Well, and not only were you gagged, <laughs> in a sense, they were gagged because there yeah, was a section themselves. in the tr- in the trial where the, the judge uh, allowed for juror questions. Uh-huh. Said, "Pass up your little slips of paper with your questions written down yeah. for this witness." And there was a Smithfield representative on the stand, and there was like an avalanche of questions, questions from the jury that all yeah. had to do with treatment of animals. And then what I thought was so hilarious was the judge looked at all these questions and had a little chat with you guys. Judge looked at all these questions and he goes, um, <clears throat> we're going to go into recess. <laughs> and you had to think that the jury was like, well, yeah. that's weird. Like yeah. I, we, right after we submit we you questions, questions, like yeah. you read them and them. you go, never mind. Yeah. And, yeah. and then they all come back and the judge goes, um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, I ultimately get to decide what questions are going to be read and we ain't reading any of them. Yeah. And, you know, and that I, was like six hours later. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I swear the that. jurors all looked at each other like, oh, well, okay, then I guess we don't have juror questions. I, I mean. Know. You either take the jury seriously or you don't. I mean, yeah. it's so I think that they felt themselves gagged. Yeah. Let's talk about jury selection. I mean, what was your impression of that? I know you didn't see a lot of the, you know, the actual voir dire process. Um, yeah. You were just there for the early stages and we were striking everyone. Was there anything interesting or notable for you? Well, I mean, I really didn't see most of that because yeah. it was like You just saw anonymous. the part where someone has like an injury or something like that, right? I, I don't think we, we could see really any of it. Really? You didn't see the first part where he was just striking names for people who are sick or... Oh, no, you're right. Sort of you're right, I was, it was there It was incredibly for that. boring and slow. Well, it seemed like in, at that stage of the selection, he was he was erring on the side of allowing people to be questioned yeah, and yeah. considering them. I kind thought when, when yeah. either side said, I'd like to talk to them, he yeah, said, he okay, we'll talk to yeah. them. And so I, nothing jumped out at me other than, I will say, just the sheer number of jurors in your pool seemed kind of crazy to me. It was like 170 that seems like a lot. It was like 130. Was it 130? That yeah, still seems like a lot. Yeah, it's about right. I mean, For, to ultimately end up with eight? So you're going to choose 5% of your jurors? Yeah, I mean, we needed to end up with 24, uh-huh. you know, at least, or possibly even 25, because after all the strikes, you know, you need a pool of at least 24. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we probably ended up going through like 70 or 80 of them. So we went through almost. Actually, I think probably more than half of them. Yeah. To get to a poll of 24. It, I mean, my, my basic takeaway was it was just a little hard for me to judge that process. I think... Yeah. Have y'all, you been, y'all did had you more... see Vordir in the other trial you were watching? I don't think I did, actually. Okay. I don't think I saw it at This that is stage. another weird thing about Utah. Utah has a lot of weird practices, and it might just even be this judge or this court, but Vordir in most states is open to the public. Okay. You know, you don't... There's no like, oh, these are private questions. We can't ask about your family or criminal history. I mean, the thought behind it is, look, if... If we're going to send someone to prison, then it's all got to be open. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's just not okay to have this happen in the dark. Um, but Utah just has weird rules, you know? Yeah. So, And I mean, what, what, what did you I... all do when we were in Vordir? 
I mean, I think I just went back to <laughs> went back to my hotel room, and actually, that was the night I had my um, police civilian review board confirmation hearing. Huh, cool. And so I, I was tied up, and so I just went back to the hotel room, and because there wasn't anything for me to watch anyway, sure, I wasn't allowed. There was nothing interesting. And and the part that I did see, it wasn't. I I couldn't really have any insights because you guys had more information in front of you than we did in the yeah, audience. Absolutely, you'd you refer nothing. to juror seventy one and something question twelve, yep, and I wouldn't know what nothing. that was. So yeah, that makes sense. All right, so let's move on to opening then. What were your thoughts on opening? Do you remember anything? Yeah, I remember the one of the things that stands out to me the most from opening. I actually don't remember your opening for some reason. It's the three P's and an R. Why don't I remember that? No piglets. I, I, I hope you're not offended, but your That's opening okay. I don't remember super well. But I remember Mary's. She huh. went first? She went first. I was yeah. second, I think. Okay. So my, my, my opening was I got the whiteboard out and I said, no piglets removed from my gestation crate. No purpose to take anything in value. We're just trying to save lives. And no fair market price at which anyone would buy any of these piglets because they were sick and on the brink of death. I do kind of remember the three Ps a little bit. Three but... Ps and an R. And I said, <laughs> yeah. the prosecution says this is a case about burglary and theft. It's not. It's a case about animal cruelty and animal rescue. That was kind of like the power. Yeah. The power statement. But yeah. apparently it wasn't very memorable. Jeremy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Your closing was extremely memorable to me. Probably the most memorable part of the whole trial, yeah. personally. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what I remember was, I remember Vaughn Christensen's opening as well. I thought it was good. <clears throat> I know you, know, you didn't it was... like it, right? Did you didn't mm. like it as much? No, I I could see how it might be effective with some jurors. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was not good. Okay, but you know, he went up there and he painted this whole pastoral image of you know, you get on I fifteen and you drive by get all this farmland, yeah. and there's horses out at pasture out by Parowan, and yeah. you know, to Utah natives, he was like you know, saying landmarks that we all know, uh-huh. and you know, he painted this whole picture, and then Mary went after him, and. Mary said, I want to tell you what you're not going to see here today. You're not going to see evidence that these piglets came from a nice, happy farm like my family had when I was younger. And she got objected to. Well, what she got objected to is she said, she said, where these piglets came from was more of a industrial objection on the word industrial objection Objection. sustained. sustained. And this was, I think this was the first stupid. This was the first window yeah. that the jury had. At, I think that okay, this is weird. This is weird They're job. already getting suppressed just at the word industrial. That was very smart of her to find this word that would like appear kind of innocuous. Yeah, I industrial. think in a way, but would still elicit an objection and a sustain. Yeah, and you probably. and then she just she was very good. I thought I actually yeah. really liked Mary. No, she was great. So she, she was, had this sustained objection, and then she you know she had this like deflated look on her face, like. Like yeah. indicating to the jury, like, I wish I could say more. Yeah. And it was so clear, you know, and, and I just thought that was like, talk about a stark contrast to show how unfair this was. Vaughn stood up there and he was able to say pasture land. Yeah. And, you know, he painted his own picture that was actually untruthful. Yeah. His picture was less accurate than reality. Yeah, you imagine like a, a barn. With yeah, like, totally. You know, open he, air he barn. He used the word barn the left and right. Yeah. So he was pigs painting a mental outside. picture of Old MacDonald's farm, uh-huh. which is not accurate. <clears throat> Mary tries to present evidence that is more accurate with what people's mental picture would be to reality. Yeah. That's what couldn't be heard. The truth is what couldn't be heard. The yeah. fiction is what's allowed to be said. I thought that was like to me one of the first moments where I'm like, okay, this is what this trial's gonna be like. Yeah. It's gonna sure. be a battle for just getting the truth out there. Yeah. It's pretty uncommon for you to hear objections in opening too. I, I wanted got, to ask I didn't you about get an that. objection in opening for why, why didn't uh 
Tell well, me this. because I was careful. I mean, I knew yeah. I was going to get objected to. And well, why were there no think... objections in closing? I wanted to ask you that. I didn't understand Well, because closing is argument. Uh-huh. You know, you're... Isn't opening too? No, opening is just a preview of the evidence. You know, okay. You're not actually supposed to make any argument. It's And it's kind of a silly rule because you can still kind of make See, argument. See, I'm still learning stuff. I never knew yeah, this. Yeah, but, okay. you know, the, the, technically an opening, you know, I mean, Vaughn took some license with this. Mary did too. I actually probably followed the rules on opening fast, partly because of my experience in North Carolina. I was like, all right, you know. They're going to come down hard to me. I'm pro se. I'm Chinese. No one's going to like me. I have to like follow the rules. And so you probably heard me say like the evidence will show. And that's because what you're supposed to do in an opening statement is just tell them what the evidence is going to be. It's like an outline or a table of contents for the evidence they're going to hear. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I Now I remember what my opening was. My opening, actually, I think my opening was pretty important to a lot of people because it, it hit people really hard with the idea that we were going to be transparent. Because I think what I said is, this is like a strange case. Uh huh. You're already saying because first of all, I'm the defendant. I'm arguing. Oh, I'm going to make it even stranger. I know why I'm having a hard time remembering your opening. Yeah, because it came like after the state. That's right. It came later. So it was like on day three. That's right. Okay. You split your opening. We split our opening. I forgot. I actually do remember your opening really well, but my because I was like I had to put myself in a different heads. No, because I I forgot about that myself. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 presented your opening after. Okay. Well, this is a whole other conversation. You know, actually, no. It's funny though. Now this is making me think. In retrospect, I kind of wish I had done my opening before the state. No. 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 I think it was the right move. I firmly believe that was the right move. Because you got to see the whole state. That that is true, and I got to respond to some of the things they were saying. Exactly. That is true. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. That I was mean, the right way to do to it. It's hard to say. It's hard to that say. That was the right way to do it. Yeah. I firmly believe that. And actually, it was. I don't know if you remember this, but there was, <laughs> there was an interesting discussion that the team had. Yeah. About after the state go. rested because the state did such a. Well, let's ter- jump okay. Ahead. Let's right. jump ahead. Let's right. talk about the state's case. <laughs> okay. So Mary does her opening. She gets cut off, which was pretty shocking to me. I was surprised the judge sustained that. Yeah. Because Mary's. You know, a pretty distinguished attorney in Utah and has a lot of stuff. All she said was the word industrial. And all she said was industrial. Yeah. She didn't even say animal welfare. But and just, this isn't industry. Yeah. That's just industry. a plainly. That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. You couldn't say a damn thing about Smithfield. Like, you yeah. just couldn't. You could talk about these two biglets and that's it. So we do openings and then uh, State calls its first witness. And I think the first witness was Richard Topham, right? It was the, if that's the guy who worked in the barn. Uh huh. The barn yep. man, leader. I thought yeah, he was the, probably their best witness, which is saying something because he wasn't good. Yeah. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, I think the feedback I've gotten suggests no. I mean, he was seen as kind of like a little bit manipulative. He still wasn't great. Yeah. He wasn't great. He still wasn't great, but I thought all yeah. their witnesses were not great. All right. Literally so every let, one of them. Let's talk about the Smithfield witnesses. What, what okay. do you think about them? You, do you think they got anything out of those two? Um, so well, it was, it was, it was what Richard they got them and barn leader and Dane yeah. Young, who was, the senior director of production, I think it was. Yeah. And he's like Richard Topham's boss's boss. And Richard yeah. Topham was already a complex manager. So he was like a guy who was running maybe like five barn or five farms because he had been upgraded from being a barn leader or a farm leader. Yeah. And I mean, let's Dane be... Young was probably pretty high up at Smithfield. Here's the, the reality of it. A company like Smithfield, they're probably going to have to have someone testify that's a little high up. Yeah. Because if they're bringing their grunt workers in, these are like undocumented yeah, they people. Like yeah, they, they're, they're not going to be able to They're not going to be able to testify in court, and they know yeah. that. So they're going to have to bring some level of management up. But the reason I thought he was their best witness was he was one of the only ones who actually introduced any relevant evidence against yeah. you. I mean, he actually said, "I know that barn. I recognize that wall. Yeah. I recognize the number written on the wall, and then yeah. I see that same number in the video." Which at that point Obviously, they didn't realize was kind of relevant. Even <laughs> it was, it was relevant in the sense that it proves I was there. They didn't know. I was about to testify and say, yes, I was there. Right. You well, I, I think that was one of the shocking parts <laughs> is that like we thought that would all be clearly established by the state. Yeah. It should have been. 
Yeah. Well, they um, certainly didn't do it for Paul. Yeah. I mean, they were right. not able to identify Paul as being even at the farm because they did such a sloppy job. Well, and part of that is because Paul basically operated the camera equipment, so he was always uh-huh. behind the lens. So, yeah, right? but they could so have gotten not... him with Death Star, you know, the, yeah. the VR video, but they were the ones that wanted excluded. They, but they could have taken some screenshots from Death Star just showing Paul entering the farm. Yep. Uh, Paul, it is, that is true, right? In Death Star, there's video of you entering the farm, right? I mean, there's certainly video of you in the farm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's no, like... No, no, no. It would have been so no. easy for them to pull stuff. No, not on Death Star. You're not in Death Star? In Death Star, there's... Oh, you mean on the farm? Yeah, you're in the farm oh, in yeah, Death Star. Non-stop. Yeah, okay, that's what I was saying. But are you... Yeah. D- d- it shows you entering the barn, too, right? Uh, One of the sheds? Um, not... Yeah, probably. Probably? Okay, we should cut, watch it, it again. cut off when you go in. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, anyways, I mean, there I'm were at, plenty of ways for them to verify that Paul was there that night, and they actually kind of didn't do it. Yeah. You know? And they kind of barely verified you were there. Well, you verified it. I mean, I... I, well, I verified it when we presented evidence, but yeah, I felt right. like they verified I was there. I mean, they had the G1 barn, and they said, like, this is the guy. And I'm, like, walking towards it. I mean, I guess in theory, maybe there's reasonable doubt as to whether I was there, but I felt like it was, you know, pretty pretty clear uh-huh. and convincing. I mean, But that was mostly because of Topham. Yeah, I think Topham I think That's why I think he yeah, was Yeah, Thane Young did absolutely nothing. Yep. Yeah, I don't think Thane Young did anything. Thane Young actually hurt their case. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was damaged. Yeah. Um, so and then they I'm had... trying to think what are the key things I thought I thought both Topham and Thane Young um, did a pretty j- bad job on intent and on value. So like Thane Young, you know, I mean, he destroyed their gestation crate argument in my cross examination because I said I basically said to him, and I don't think he understood the charges and he wasn't pro- properly. But I basically crossed him and said, and I was like, you know, gestation crates typically don't have baby pigs, right? And and of course that would be bad for you as Smithfield, right? And so if anyone had the intent to look for baby pigs, there's no way in hell they'd go to a gestation barn, right? And you can see them from the outside, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he went along with all of them. And I was like, okay, at that point, the gestation crate count is gone because they charged yep. us with count one, which was burglary of a gestation crate building. And I honestly think, and I was holding this, this was like one of our secrets coming to trial because we didn't want the state to realize that we knew how bad their case was. I think the state just legit didn't understand the difference between a gestation. I'm and a sure that's crate. true. I'm sure. Like I think true. they they thought they were the same or something. Yeah. No, you I'm know? sure they, that's they, true. They they were just confused. Yep. And they probably thought that y'all didn't understand the difference either. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Like it's that's bizarre to me. Yeah. So, um, and then on value evidence, you know, like so Richard Topham actually did answer the questions better in the sense that he didn't just straight up admit that the piglets have no value if they're sick. Um, he did admit they have less value. You know, if they're sick or injured. But I think he came across as very evasive. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of people read him that way in the jury. I don't want to go into too many details, but I think a lot of jurors probably read him as an evasive person. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, just lots of times when you were cross-examining him, there'd be a lengthy delay in his answer. Yeah. And you know, you could tell he was trying to think about where you were going with your line of questioning. And then he would... Give me the opposite, basically. yeah, Yeah, or he would, you know he'd give an evasive answer that kind of didn't answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think people pick up on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, cross-examination is pretty fun though. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird too, because I'm, I had to send you messages though. I do remember telling you to slow down. Yeah. Slow down. And actually another thing I think I was not doing well my first day was I think I was a little aggressive. Yeah. I was a little, being a little, mean. I thought so. I think I, you I, gave I, me this cool, you know, that was, that was kind of the one of the interesting things is like you could go sit at the table uh-huh. and have your computer there. And I was in the gallery with my yeah, iPad yeah. and I was like You're actually sending messages, messages yeah, like me to chill out. giving you all little pieces of advice. <laughs> that was kind of an interesting dynamic that like, yeah. you know, no one knows they were kind of communicating that way. Yeah, yeah. But. 
So we got Richard Topham and Thane Young. They testify and verify that at least I was there. They didn't verify Paul was there, which is kind of ridiculous, and I'm sure yep. they weren't able to do this. But they basically take some photos of me and the farm from Death Star and from other places where we published photographs and verified, okay, this is Wayne Chung, or at least it's the guy that I know to be Wayne Chung. And it looks like he's in farm 41102 or whatever number it was, and it's the Farron Crate Barn. You can see G1, whatever building it is. Um, and then they go to Dr. Dean Taylor. So what do you think happens with that? Well, do you remember? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I Dean... his testimony first time around was really short. Yeah, I mean, basically all Dean Taylor did, and Dean Taylor, by the way, is a, a familiar face to me. Sure. Um, he's the official state veterinarian for the state of Utah. He works for the Utah Department of Agriculture. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I apologize for my cough. Yeah, no worries. <clears throat> when Dean Taylor was hired as a state veterinarian, I think just in 2019, maybe, it wasn't that long ago... He actually said in the press release, I, I view it as my job to promote the animal industry. Yeah. Um, so that's what he was there doing in yeah. the big scheme of things. And he, he presented this evidence. It was a data table from, I think, Iowa State, mm-hmm, but it was mm-hmm. from USDA data. And it was a table of market value of piglets at various ages of stage of development. Yeah. And they, they grabbed this table and they found the value. It was historic price data. How much was a, and they went with the youngest age they had, which was a weaned piglet of like, Two weeks of age or something like that. Yeah, it's probably probably three weeks. Three weeks, weaned, something like yeah. that. And they said March 2017, which is when this incident occurred. Uh-huh. What was a wean piglet going for on the open market? Yeah, and it said forty two dollars and twenty cents. Yeah, I think and, that was basically all his testimony, right? I mean, that was at the well, end they had it, they had to introduce bad. some evidence of yeah, positive value, value and their the state's argument was, yeah, you know, this is basically about eighty four bucks and forty cents. Yeah, because uh, there were two piglets, so yeah. eighty four bucks. So. I, uh, I don't want to say you know exactly how, but Dean Taylor had no credibility, I think, with anyone in that courtroom, um, mm-hmm. including the jury. And that was probably the best cross I did. Uh-huh. I don't think you remember this, but tell me he a was bit, just but refresh he was really my memory. easy. He was just he wasn't pushing back at all. Like I was leading him along on a leash down this journey that just made him look worse and worse. Uh-huh. I I went through his CV and oh, yeah. he basically just said, you know, like it looks like you've been a vet for twenty years. Oh yeah, uh, you've been an equine vet for most of those years. I think it's sixteen out of those twenty years. Is, is it fair to say that swine does not appear a single time? You know, and is it fair to say that if you you know work with swine on a daily basis, you're going to have better expertise and better ability to assess the value of a pig? And he's like, yeah. And then, I mean, partly, I think you sent me some of this stuff from the Utah Department of Agriculture. I don't think I had that press release about him getting hired, which you should have sent me <laughs> at trial, not now. You know, a week you, were, later. You, were, you were roping me in there for trial prep, know, like the week I'm before. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You should I'm have roped sorry. me in months earlier, which is why I've wanted no, 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 to talk no, no, I'm to just you kidding. about I'm, Ridgeland. I'm, no, no. I'm, we, I'm, the yeah. time to start prepping is soon. Just now, I agree. We should be starting but, to prep yeah. our exhibits and everything now. But um, you did send me some good stuff just from the Utah Department of Agriculture website, just that, you know, part of the mission is to promote agriculture. That's a billion-dollar industry. And and I think he came across as a little invasive because I said, you know, we can agree that, you know, animal agriculture is the largest portion of agriculture, right? And That was that, that was a good question, wasn't it? And then he yeah, agreed and, to that, and, which, I mean, I knew, but it was nice to just hear an official yes. Yeah. You and know? then, you know, that your your mission at the Department of Agriculture is to promote agriculture and the largest component of that is animal ag. And then it's a billion dollar industry. And he didn't even realize it was billion dollars plus. I had to point it out just from the website. And he looked at it and said, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, and then I just crossed him a little bit on on the fact that he had not taken any patient histories. He hadn't seen the animals. He hadn't interviewed any caretakers. And he admitted that all those things are essential. Like yep. They're just like the standard things you do if you're trying to assess the condition or value of an animal. 
And I just felt like by the end of the cross, like no one thought that anything he said was particularly interesting. Yeah. You know, and Mary started it. She, she did good stuff too with her initial cross. I think she mainly focused on just the value question. And I went into kind of his expertise, um, his yeah. bias, and then a little bit of value stuff myself too. Mostly when I did it, it was mostly just about standard practices. Cause I knew like the things that Shirsten had done. And I knew she was going to be able to testify. I see pigs every day, you know, and I got him to say, yeah, someone who sees pigs every day has better judgment than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I knew that um, she was going to say, I have seen the piglets and I saw them when they were initially sick, you know, and I got him to say, yeah, if you want to make a valid assessment, you have to see the animal when they're sick, not years later. Right. Um, and then I got him to say, you need a medical history. You know, if you don't have medical history, what, you know, you can't really diagnose anyone because you don't know what's happened to them over the last few days, weeks, months, you know? Yep. And he said that. And Churston again was able to say, yes, I knew their medical history and I know their medical history today because I talked to the caretakers and I was able to document everything they had gone through and the days before I, I, you know, gave an assessment. So yeah, Dean Taylor was fun for me. Yeah. That was, that was probably my favorite moment of the trial, even though maybe everyone else was like, oh, this isn't, I mean, it's just, I'm sure people felt like it was reasonably effective cross, but I don't think anyone thought it was the highlight for me. That was probably the highlight. Yeah. I thought I did a good job of Dean Taylor's cross. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Okay. So after Dean Taylor, we go to the FBI agent. What'd you think of that? Chris Anderson. Chris Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Yeah. Wasn't there some irony with that? And he, in, in many ways was just a stereotypical presenting FBI agent. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the main thing I remember from his testimony is your cross, actually, and just really? going into depth about, and there were a lot of objections. Uh, there's a huge number of huge objections, number of objections during know. the cross because you were asking some questions about, and I, I like this too, you're dropping little nuggets yeah. about how Costco is involved in this. And Costco is yeah. a, you know, a, a, a household name. Jurors are going to be like, Costco's involved in this? You know, they're yeah. going to wonder about that. Huh. And it actually is just true. I mean, you, you've shown me a lot of the discovery and... It, it's surprising the degree to which like Costco is picking up the phone and getting the FBI I easily. Know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I'm the, just surprised the general counsel didn't say stay the hell away from this, especially the high level executives. You know? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, we had legitimate grounds for having him called the trial. The I judge just think, turned it down, but I think that I don't know. It seemed like that FBI agent just had some personal co- connection to it's me because like yeah. that Costco agent was just picking up the phone and getting Agent Anderson on the phone with no no trouble. Yeah. Um and it was it, it was like a motivating factor for the investigation it seemed like. Yeah. That was actually a really, you know, just taking one really quick step back. I was really surprised when I was reviewing a lot of your discovery materials how much the FBI seemed to actually view it as their role to defend the good image of Smithfield slash Costco. Um, And really, just almost overtly, like in the affidavits for the search warrants of the sanctuaries, there would be a paragraph that would be like, Smithfield conducted an animal welfare audit, which found Mm -hmm. that their treatment of animals was above excellent, you know, and all this stuff. And it's just like, that has nothing to do with the search warrant is that (laughs) a crime was committed and the place to be searched has evidence of, is likely as evidence of that crime that has nothing to do with... Yeah, it's almost like the FBI agent is just trying to justify to the judge why he's doing this. Yeah. The judge is reading this warrant application. is like, you want want to chase piglets across state lines? Why are you doing this? Yeah, and, and he he like throws that line in or that paragraph and just say, well, like because they 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 heard Smithfield's good name, you know. Yeah, poor little Smithfield, you know, criticized by the animal rights. And action. it's just like, it okay, weird. well, that's on Smithfield to bring a, a defamation case. Sure. That's not on the FBI to to be their defend their reputation that way. Yeah, it, like, it's it's weird too because Chris Anderson crimes. during the trial he kept saying, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not here to make legal conclusions. I don't know. 
And in a lot of the documents, he uses the term defamation or defaming, which is a yeah. legal term. It's, it's you know... It's, and it's, it's a tort, though. It's, it's a not tort. a crime. Yeah, it's not even a crime. So FBI agents should not be involved in defamation cases, but he doesn't know anything about it. Yeah. Even if he were involved in... Well, I guess the FBI is involved in some civil cases, just not defamation cases. They mm-hmm. do do some civil work and will do civil investigations. I'm pretty sure they do. U.S. attorneys certainly do, and I imagine they work with FBI agents. But this was a criminal proceeding. It was a criminal proceeding. So yeah. there's no need for him to talk about defamation of Smithfield and Costco. You were actually the one who pointed this out a long time ago when I first gave you access to the discovery. You were saying, hey, all this stuff about PR damage, like, because, you know, I mean, depending on your measure, but I think it's accurate to say probably 95% of the damages they were claiming because the damages came, basically came in three parts. One was the pigs. They claimed $200 in damage on the pigs, which is kind of way too high, but it's irrelevant compared to the thousands of other dollars. There was like $5,000, $6,000 in just straight up public relations expenses. Yeah. They paid a PR firm and they're claiming damages from a burglary and theft for public relations. But the other $6,000 was from hiring auditors. And they even say... In their expense report, which is kind of so stupid and just makes, I don't know, there's just so many dumb mistakes they make. They literally say in the actual uh, expense report that they send to the FBI to calculate the restitution called in response to the New York Times. Uh Uh-huh, I saw that. So it's not like, oh, there's a biosecurity violation that damaged (laughs) us in some way. It's just to manage our public reputation. Yeah, and one of the things that's really ridiculous about trying to claim you're on the hook for that somehow is... They can run that tab up as much as they want. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what if they say, you know, to prepare our public relations yeah. image, we had to put an ad on during the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we had to get like <laughs> Kim what, Kardashian they... to act in it. And we paid her five million bucks. There's gotta be some like direct nexus yeah. between your alleged criminal activity, you'd think. Otherwise, PR damage. I mean, you could, yeah, yeah. You could why not just up. write their whole marketing budget into damages in this claim, you know? Yeah, it's... and you know, unfortunately, like the guy sitting behind you won't tell you this. Well, there is a standard in restitution, it has to be reasonably related to the harm caused. A lot of judges don't actually keep it that way. Yeah, know? I've so seen that too. Because they, animal rights just, I have. Are hit with $331,000 in restitution, which is pretty nonsense. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I did like a pretty poor job in this trial. Um, I actually think Cross was probably where I felt like I did my best work in mm-hmm. um, this trial overall. Partly because Cross, it does require preparation, but it's a lot of off-the-cuff stuff. Um, and... I thought I did a reasonably good job with Chris, too. Richard Topham, yeah. I think I did a bad job. Thane Young, okay. Dean Taylor, I thought I did the best cross of all the witnesses I crossed. But I got one line in with Chris Anderson on cross that I really liked. And it was it was an example of how like sometimes the questions that are not answered and that are objected to are still really good questions. And the question was, you know, are you aware that an animal cruelty report is filed? And he said, no. And I said, like, are you aware? And it was this is in regard to I remember basically this, yeah. why he hadn't reached out to us. Yeah, and, and I said, it's fair to say you didn't reach out to us because you knew we were going to report animal cruelty and you didn't want to hear what we had to say. And he was like, he looked at me, he was like, uh, he's like paused for a moment, but he looked like super defensive and like kind of frantic. Um, and and I think that got objected to, so he didn't have to answer. He, uh-huh. did, he did blurt it out and he was like, no, 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 that's not the reason. But I just think, yeah. I tried yeah. getting questions like that a lot and it was fun. Yeah. So... Matt Thompson is like irrelevant. I don't think we need to talk about who him. was Matt Thompson. He was a special agent who. Oh, he was, he was the attorney general guy. Social media. No, I think we do need to talk about him because the confessions he was, we made. He was like the 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 poster boy of why the state was surprisingly incompetent. I thought. Yeah. I mean, he was just up there. I mean, literally, his whole evidence was just like I read it on the internet. Well, yeah, you know? and, no, and he, like, well, two sources. One is, I looked at the stuff Chris Anderson sent me, uh-huh. and then I looked at some stuff on the internet. 
and he couldn't even name anything specifically he looked at. Oh, he Mary, just said Mary stood up internet. and objected like half a dozen times in quick yeah. succession because he just he, and it was like literally one of the questions was, you know, on which platform did you see this confession that yeah. you're describing? And he like he was just like. Pfft. It was all of them. It was like Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, yeah. Twitter. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not an answer. <laughs> no, like, just know. all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were like, and he didn't retain copies? Yeah. That I was know. really weird. Like, how do you not preserve evidence? That yeah. was very weird. I'm trying to figure out why. So there was a lot of stuff in Discovery from both of our social media. And honestly, like, um, so I'm going to share, like, some of our strategy that we didn't get to use. And I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get to use this, but they actually had be a lot careful, of stuff. because you got more trials coming up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm serious. You be transparent they, about I think you things. should be, I mean, just think about it. We got more trials coming up. Yeah. I should. All right. Maybe I'll hold this one. And there's, gotta, right, there, and right. there's future podcasts to record. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'll hold <laughs> this one back, but we had, we had something interesting. I will just say they had a lot of stuff on Paul. They could have used, um, cause in discovery, I mean, there are all these posts, you know, under the Paul Darwin Picklesheimer Facebook page and just like him saying all these things about, yeah, we took these piglets out. You know, they could have like gotten him with a lot of uh, admissions. And, you know, I, I have to say, like, it was one of the most powerful moments of the trial for lay people. But I actually kind of felt bad for Janice to some extent because she was actually, in my view, legally right about the hearsay question. Because um, admission of a party opponent is an exception to the hearsay rule. So... Uh, when Matt, because Matt Thompson was saying, you know, like, except oh, it was hearsay within hearsay. He could have admitted it if he had, if he said, here's what I saw. Yeah, yeah. But I think he has to still present that. No, that's not, that's not a hearsay question then. That's a best evidence rule. You know, he can't just describe something he's seen, you know. But he's got to authenticate something. Well, if you want, no, you only have to authenticate if you're trying to admit it as an exhibit. You can talk about it and your recollection of it. And that's a credibility issue, obviously. Like, if you can't remember the specific details, you know, the, the jury doesn't have to believe you. But to just ask questions about it, I think, you know, he, he actually, Ginny's probably should have been able to answer those questions. But Judge Wilcox just got a lot of stuff wrong in the law, you know? And hmm. a lot of it, I mean, honestly, some of it was just if you were sufficiently confident. And you were the right person. I mean, it didn't matter if I was confident. If anything, if I think if I was more confident, I was like less inclined to get the objection. But if you were sufficiently confident, oftentimes you just go along with it, which is weird. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so we have Matt Thompson, and that was kind of, I mean, it was kind of hilarious. And they, you know, I think Janice was struggling to get anything out of him because she kept getting objections. And- uh-huh. That made me feel a little better given how much I was getting objected to in all my cross-examination because the moment I asked any of them about anything related to animals, it was getting shut down so fast. Or really even anything beyond just like the elements of burglary and theft. And and that's not correct. Normally, the rule is you're always able to cross a witness for the purposes of impeaching them. In, in other words, showing they're not credible and they could be lying. And for the purposes of bias. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the lines of inquiry... I was trying to go down were related to those two goals of cross-examination. I was not able to ask questions, which was really frustrating. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I can't be that frustrated because we won. It's hard though, because probably some of the ways you wanted to impeach some of the witnesses' credibility probably did intersect with treatment of animals. Yeah. You know, especially with the Smithfield oh, for sure. people. And so yeah, I got shut down across a lot. Yeah. But I mean <clears throat> that the answer to that is they shouldn't allow us to impeach. You know, yeah. that's, that, that's what the rule should say. Cause it's, you know, I, I don't know why these judges in these animal rights cases just suddenly decide the scales of justice can be tipped against defendants. Cause 
the traditional model of American criminal justice, going back to 1776, is supposed to be defendant friendly. Right. You know, evidence is supposed to be excluded on behalf of the defendant, not on behalf of the prosecution. But right. In the two cases that I've been in as a pro se defendant, it's been the exact opposite. Yep. All right. So let's. Um, so we finish up Thompson and Anderson. And then we have the directed verdict motion, which I thought was pretty interesting. I thought Mary did a fabulous job. Yeah. That was her best argument of the trial. Yeah. In my view. And, you know, basically it her got argument, really close to getting yeah. Paul out of the case. Well, the judge even explicitly said, like, you, you make very persuasive arguments. Yeah. And, you know, the directed verdict, basically what that is, is he, she's asking the judge, hey, the prosecution's done resting their case and they really haven't proven much of anything. Yeah. So this shouldn't even go to a jury. You yeah. should be able to just tell the judge that the state didn't, especially with respect to Paul, that's what, who she's making this motion on behalf of, I think. Yeah. You might have joined in the motion. But uh, I, 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 I joined the motion. I didn't even make an argument because I thought there's no chance. It was mostly about Paul, basically. Yeah. Especially since she turned down Paul's directed verdict motion. And then yeah. the judge asked me, would you like to make it? And I was like, all right, I mean, this is... Sure, may as well I join I, in. I can't waste everyone's time. And what was weird was that the judge was like, you know, you make persuasive arguments, but we're going to keep things going. Yeah. And we'll let the judge proceed. I actually thought that was a little inappropriate. Yeah, it's like, I thought that was weird too. Because the judge is essentially saying, "Let's see if these guys hang themselves," yeah. which is supposed to be the prosecution's burden to prove their case. Yeah, he can't just say like, "Well, you may have a point," you know, because he basically did say that your arguments are very persuasive. Well, then you need to just rule. You need to say, yeah. you know, dismissed. You can't say, "Let's let things keep going." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think he, that's basically what he was saying was he he thought and correctly that you were probably going to say some stuff that incriminated both uh-huh. of you or implicated both of you. So. Let's just let them do that. And that's uh-huh. kind of inappropriate. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, that was that was a strange motion. Um, I will say I I I don't think giving Paul a directed verdict was just the right legal answer in the sense because the standard is so low. The standard is there basically is insufficient evidence for any reasonable jury. Like it is just no one could possibly conclude that mm-hmm. The evidence presented um, has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Paul convicted a crime. And it's just, they're just, I, I, I honestly am not familiar with any of them ever being granted. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's like a unicorn. I mean, in yeah. theory it's possible. Well, in practice, we got a unicorn for one of the counts ultimately. Yeah. I mean, at the end of trial, it's a little more common and especially one of the counts is more common. Um, I think one of the reasons they got so close is just because the prosecution did such a sloppy job. Yeah, they so. did. But I mean, one of the net results of that though is there is huge tension between you know myself and Mary. Not I like bet. emotional tension. I think we still had good feelings for each but other. The but strategies were at she hundred percent wanted to rest, and she was pushing hard uh-huh. in to rest. And you know, I I seriously considered it. You know, I mean, partially for Paul, I just thought this might actually be the best thing for Paul. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have. I definitely shouldn't have rested. I would have been convicted on the spot because, yeah, you know, I think our witnesses, like me and Sherston, so at that point you were basically asking for a split trial. You're one of the jury to decide on Paul. Well, and yeah, and and you know that's what Mary requested. She said like, okay, I can see three different options. One is, let's take this to the judge. Like, let's make you the independent fact finder. Second is, let's give the jury a chance to decide Paul's case first, and then come back and continue trying Wayne's case if we like. And third is a mistrial. And I think at the end, Paul, you decide you don't want the third option, well, right? Kind of Can you come closer to Mike? Yeah, it was funny. We just sort of conferred in the hallway, and yeah. I actually didn't want 
any option at that point. Oh, you didn't want any of that? Um, and we literally just had a miscommunication. Huh. And then we walked back in. I was like having second thoughts because I was like, I kind of, I don't know, maybe I would like to have the judge or the jury decide for me right now. You huh. know? Um, but either way. The, the <laughs> and then she, I, 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 it, she argued for it. It was yeah. a little spooky. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, let's just see what happens here. I might have to just interrupt and be like hold up or something. Uh-huh. And uh, but ultimately the judge was like, yeah, you can do two things: you can stay in, yeah. or, or I'll give you a mistrial. And I just definitely did not want a mistrial. I think that was the right call. I, well, I, obviously now we know it's the right call. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, beyond the fact that the I think the prosecution made some mistakes, I really liked our jury, and I didn't yeah. see I didn't see myself getting a jury this good ever again. Honestly, that's true. So we had a very I was good like, jury. Let's roll with these people. And uh, yeah, yeah, we might not have had twice as many peremptory strikes either in the next trial because yeah. the judge could have denied us the extra five that we got. Well, if it was just me in the mistrial, it's just five. Yeah, on it's five. just five on five. Yeah, yeah so and I, that was a huge advantage for us to yeah, strike ten because yeah. we got some bad people out for sure. People yeah. would not have been good for us. Yeah, um, I entertained a lot of ideas, but in the end, I just pretty much always are you saw myself. Actually, in. let me just ask you this, and then I'll go back to Jeremy because uh, are you happy with the decision to move forward with defense evidence, or would if, in retrospect? Um, well, yeah. well, obviously, like you have to no, because no, we no, won. No, to- <laughs> no, for um, like, yeah, yeah. If if I could, like, do you think Sherson helped no, your case? I, uh, yes, yes, and well, no. No, honestly, the thing, the thing about me, like, the thing is, I just don't care about myself all that much mm. in this case. I mean, I definitely, yeah, like the facts were, I was always less exposed than you because I yeah. just literally was not handling the pigs, you know. So, um. But so I'm like happy for myself when I'm thinking, okay, the facts are in my favor so long as they don't have the uh, party liability, which they didn't have. Yeah. So I, I felt. And the party liability is basically where you're, you yeah. can be held liable for mm-hmm. my conduct. Mm-hmm. And I think we can say this now. The prosecution made a huge, huge, just clerical error in filing informations that didn't have party liability on counts two and counts three. And only for count one, which is the count that they were going to lose because it's a gestation crate count. I don't know if people in the crowd caught this, but did you catch this, Jeremy? I thought they just messed up with all the counts. I didn't know that there was a... No, I think it was one of the biggest... It was just a clerical error. I mean, I definitely knew that was an an, an error. I didn't know it was a clerical error on just... yeah. No, I think it was just a clerical error. Because the original information that was filed had party liability in the introduction to all the counts. And when they chained the information and made it the amended information, I think they just forgot. They deleted the top and rewrote it, did not include party liability on the top charge, included it on count one and just forgot it in counts two and three. And so we filed a motion, you know, right before trial saying, Your Honor, they cannot charge party liability. And they lost this. And I think now we can say this, but the dumbest thing is if they had done their research, they could have actually probably amended their information in time to charge Paul party liability. They just didn't get their game in order. Yeah. I mean, ultimately what I felt was even party liability or not, um, I knew in my heart of hearts that the piglets were destined for the dumpster and yeah. they had no value if we didn't take them out. Yeah, they weren't. And so it true. was always just a matter of can we help the jury understand, understand that, that or not? Because if we could, then you're off too. Yeah, you know, we're both off. And right. um, and so even if we didn't, yeah, I, I felt like you know, if I'm, we get the instruction, we did get it. Yeah, the greater we, than zero. We got, yeah, yeah, we had even, to get that. Not even the zero, one you so. wanted, but at least greater than zero is better. Um, yeah. Then, then yeah. So I, that was always just kind of my hope is that we can just help the jurors see that what, yeah. we, what we really know and what what Smithfield knows too. They just you know not being honest with themselves on the stand, but when you've got 15 to 20% mortality rate in that building yeah, and you look at those pigs and you know they're in the sub 2% 
of the the worst condition of the pigs in the Absolutely. whole, in the whole Absolutely. building. Absolutely, they're gonna. They were both. They're, they're not up. gonna. Yeah, there's there's no way these these pigs are not gonna get some medical treatment. They're yeah. gonna get thrown in the dumpster because there's eight others right there that are gonna be yeah, taking yeah. the market weight. It was plain to see. And uh, I was never fully confident that we could help the jury understand that because we couldn't yeah. even talk about the conditions. So yeah, yeah, I always true. felt like I felt like the, by the facts of the case we win. Yeah, and uh, yeah. we just managed to get the facts out good enough. So yeah, no, well, I'm grateful for you nonetheless. I know you know you, you say the case you weren't thinking just about yourself or even really about yourself at all, but uh, I know there was a little bit of a split. And I want to say that Paul very courageously, as he has throughout the many years that I've worked with him or with them, I'm sorry. Um, said, yeah, let's just move forward. You know, I yeah. know, I know it might not be the best for me, and it's going to increase my risks, but it's going to decrease your risk dramatically, probably. Because I, I, I mean, I don't see how. Would you agree with this, Jeremy? That if we had rested just on the state's evidence, I get convicted pretty obviously. Probably, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I'm in prison right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, having you rest was never going to be. Yeah, like, I think that would have been. Yeah, a I mean, I, I know yeah. that idea was floated, but I would never. I, yeah, I, I, I'm like, no, no, we want this guy to get out there and shine a little bit. Yeah, and, Mary, Mary thought case. that maybe they couldn't even prove it against me because they didn't present a huge amount of evidence against yeah, me. They did prove enough, right. I think. I mean, they had screenshots of me holding piglets. They had me identified at the barn. I think that was enough. We have to at least contradict that in some way. You know, and make some argument if they have like obvious photos and video or not video, but photos of me holding screenshots verified as being at Circle Four Farms on the date that the piglets are rescued. But yeah, anyways, the thing too, without having the defense evidence, is there was nothing introduced yet about how the pigs didn't have value. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that, you know, as, as Paul just barely said, that was kind of a linchpin to your whole strategy. Yeah, was talking sure. about how they we were destined, destined for the dumpster. And yeah, we couldn't do anything yet. Yeah, and yeah, so I mean, we'd ask some questions across, but mostly those. Those questions had always been well. You, had, you had a soundbite there. You had a really good soundbite where you're like, you, "You testified that your pigs have values, that right?" And he said, "Yes, we. I did." Does that include the ones that I saw in the dumpster outside? Objection, yeah. of course. <laughs> but that's like the first. That, yeah. That's exactly what I think you had to do. No, we did a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's move on. Um, so we did the split opening. Do you have any thoughts on that? I definitely thought that was the right move. Yeah, yeah. But, but was... and you and you thought, what did you think of the opening? You can be candid. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I definitely. Thought. This is the one where I said it's it was a strange thing to have a defendant speak. I'm going to do something stranger now. Yeah, and you said, and said I'm going to tell you right. You basically said I'm going to tell you all I did it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you all I walked into that building. I so I mean, you basically confessed. Back. You confessed to in my opening statement. In yeah, the first you, 10 in your words. in your opening statement, you <laughs> confessed twenty words. You confessed to three fourths of the burglary statute. Yep, pretty much. Now, fortunately, you know, in this country, <laughs> you have to confess to four fourths for yeah. it to really get you Uh but you you basically said yes i entered and yes i you know removed something um but it did not have value and i think that's really where pretty much your whole strategy came down to well i mean i had there were there were two things one is the intent prong and the second was the value prong but they're really related to each other yeah because the intent prong is just i didn't have the intent to take anything of value and the value prong is just i didn't actually take anything of value right yeah so you, you need both of them you need to prove that they, they had the intent to prove. Actually, for burglary, you have to prove the intent to take something of value. And then theft, you have to prove both the intent to take something of value and that they actually did. So, you know, if you intended to take something of value and you accidentally took like a piece of garbage, you actually can't be convicted of theft. You yeah. can get convicted of burglary if that's your intent when you when you enter into or remain on the building. Right. Um, yeah, I thought my opening was okay. It definitely <clears throat> wasn't my best. Well, I think okay. it just... 
you know, it was dramatic. And I, mean, I don't mean that in dramatic. a negative way. It was, I mean, I definitely think it made the jury go, you know, wow, wow. this this guy's being very straightforward. It was obvious, you know, you were taking a big risk there. Yeah. You know, you were you were you were putting yourself out there. Yeah. And kind of saying, I'm 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 sacrificing three fourths of my possible outs, yeah. and I'm leaving myself with this one. But I think you conveyed to the jury, I'm so convinced of that one though, that <clears throat> I think you'll make the right decision. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean, I I thought it was good. I mean, okay. it was definitely risky in some ways yeah, but it was. it was probably a necessary risk yeah i think so okay let's talk about testimony any yeah i don't even remember what i testified about i just remember getting objected to left and right i'm like everything, everything i you know i, I definitely think objected. you struggled with that weird ass format yeah i was where kind of you know there, there's there's two things here at play you were a pro se defendant yeah. which means you're representing yourself and you're taking the stand in your own defense when you combine those two things <laughs> you you basically sound like a, yeah. a person with schizophrenia or yeah, something yeah cuz the judge and made you, me ask myself questions I, that's actually i talked to a friend of mine who's a who's a defense attorney he said that's that's correct that's how it's supposed that's to be done that's how it's done here okay but that's, 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 that's he's a defense attorney here yeah he's I mean, a defense attorney here and he says yeah it's pretty weird you know he's, yeah, he's had clients ridiculous. do that and um yeah and it's it's you know so you have to ask yourself questions yeah. as though you're another party even though yeah. it's you um, and you know, you, you, you definitely kind of rushed that at times, but I think at the yeah, same cause it time, just, it felt kind of ridiculous and it I didn't, feel I didn't practice it. I honestly didn't practice it, wasn't it very, all and I should have practiced it. Well, it wasn't very clean in the sense that it was a little hard to follow and you struggle with the format, but the impression that it gave off, uh-huh. I don't necessarily think it was harmful. I uh-huh. think the impression that it gave off was this guy's really eager to tell a story. Yeah. He's so eager to tell a story that he's like bursting. Yeah. Like, because like he's in, and I thought maybe the jury would interpret that as like, you know, he, he doesn't have consciousness of guilt or whatever. Like yeah, he's, yeah. he's trying really hard to just tell us what happened. And he's like tripping over himself a little bit, struggling with his format because he's just trying to tell us the truth. Yeah. So interestingly, okay. So something about North Carolina is North Carolina didn't have to do this. I just told one long narrative. It was just a speech. Okay. And it was like a long ass statement. Yeah. Know? And, and I, I tried to break it up into parts similar to an examination, but I could just answer whatever questions I wanted and whatever format I wanted. Um, and I don't want to like give myself too much credit for this because mostly I was a little bit clumsy because I was just a little clumsy. But I do remember getting some feedback, even from people in the crowd and on our side in North Carolina, that I came across as a little too slick. Sure. I and, can believe that. You know, and especially you like probably a rehearsed rural, it. poor. Yeah, I did rehearse in North Carolina. <clears throat> I barely yeah. rehearsed it at all in Utah. And especially when you're testifying, I think coming across as slick is bad. Yeah. If you're a different person. So um, I didn't mean for it to be as clumsy as it was, partly partly because there was just so many objections. And, you know, I only actually probably testified about half the stuff I was planning to testify about. Um, but, yeah, it was hard. Yeah. Was hard. And then, like, you know, obviously the fact we couldn't get any of our exhibits in, that was frustrating, too. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I thought you did a good job. I mean, I think there were definitely aspects of your testimony that you probably benefited from your legal training as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I thought you were a good witness for yourself. That's my own okay. personal assessment. And that's one thing that's kind of interesting about this trial is I do think if you talk to different people who watched all or most of the trial, you're probably going to get different I think so. feedback. But So this is just my take. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> far, the people I've talked to, including some important people, um, I think most people have found Dr. Rosenberg's testimony. Shurston's probably the most important. Rosenberg, Rosenberg was really was good great. for you. She was great. Yeah. Um, but I think all of our witnesses are pretty good. And, you know. <laughs> well, tell me about, like, I don't. we don't even have to talk about all of them. Yeah. What are the highlights for you in the rest of the defense's case? What do you see as the highlights? I thought Rick Pittman was phenomenal. I know. So and, did I. Um, 
that was also a really moving part. And um, well, tell us why. Why was it phenomenal for you? <clears throat> well, first of all, well, I think it because it it first of all, okay, here's one thing I really liked. I actually really liked that he came in there and he said, "The first interaction I had with you, I was terrified." Yeah. And the reason I really liked that was I thought that the jury on some level might be able to relate to that. Sure. Like here they are, they've been told you're an anonymous jury because these people are super scary yeah. and it's a defendant, you know, in a criminal case, they're assuming this guy's a criminal. Here he is representing himself, you know, like they probably thought you were a scary guy. Yeah. That's why what most jurors, jurors walk into a criminal trial thinking, yeah, yeah. even though they're not supposed to, that's sure. probably what they think. And so here's Pittman saying, I thought this guy was going to be a scary guy. Yeah. But instead, like, what he did was he said he 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 painted a picture of you being a very reasonable person, yeah. not someone breaking the law willy nilly, causing chaos. And the other thing too was he showed a blueprint of you know what Smithfield should be doing Going, if they're yeah. reasonable. No, you're right. Um, yeah. And that you know if they weren't so insane about yeah. being overzealous and just punishing you and punishing you, punishing you, they might be able to work with you in the same way he does. And you know yeah. I think Rick Pittman is. A bit of a morally complex figure to me because he's obviously still involved in an industry that causes a lot of suffering. Sure. And, you know, I, I want to see him out of business. Yeah. And he knows that and he knows that you think that about him too. And yet he still finds a way to have some kind of productive relationship with you. And I thought that was just really remarkable. And I think people like, um, find fascinating people with moral complexities like that. Yeah. People that don't see the world in like black and white. For sure. And, you know, I think the prosecution wanted to paint you Mm-hmm. As someone who saw the world in black and white, you know, you're an extremist. You're wearing this shirt that says animal liberation, liberation now. now. <laughs> like they wanted it that right. They were trying to drive that yeah, home. He and Rick Pittman, that so many times. Yeah, exactly. And Rick and Rick is just like, they're not like that. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I, I, I've, I had a lot of conversations with Wayne and um, and he was just a very relatable guy. Also, just even on a superficial level, his appearance, mm-hmm. he just looked like a normal guy, yeah. uh, especially in like. A farmer, and I remember you told me once I, you just looked at him and said, "Yeah, he's Mormon." I could, I could just see by yeah, the way he yeah. looks and the way he dresses. And you know, Rick, if you happen to be listening to this, I don't mean that yeah. as a slight at all. Um, yeah, no, he looks great. I actually think I, I actually texted Rick a little bit uh-huh. after the trial was over. We exchanged huh. some messages. Cool. And and I said this to him, and I really do mean it. I think he's actually a really amazing person. Yeah. Cool. Um, even though again, he does he has a company that does a lot of bad Awful stuff. Things, yeah. So that's that's why people are are morally complex. I think. Yeah, but they are. the other thing too is he, he there was there were just so many little moments where he was charming. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, and the, the prosecution tried, I don't know what the hell the point was even of this question, but they said, did you or did you not say, when we fight, we lose? And he's like, yeah, I said that. Why did you say that? Because I always say that. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it's a charming laugh. expression. Yeah. What's wrong with that expression? When yeah. we fight, we all lose. Like, yeah. that's saying like, hey, let's all be friends. Let's, yeah, everybody laughed at that and he laughed too. And Everyone it just made the prosecution yeah. look kind of ridiculous. And then the juror had the question, oh, you know, I'll tell you, when I first was getting real... <laughs> when I was really getting hints that y'all maybe were going to get acquitted or y'all had a good chance of it at least was the juror questions. That's yeah. what made me feel good was all these juror questions were asking. That's what Rich was saying too. Yeah. I don't know if you were talking to Rich about this during the trial, but he said I, he was following your Twitter and he said when he saw these juror questions yeah, about like animal welfare or stuff like that. And then they thought, asked Rick, yeah. they said, where did the hundred turkeys you pardoned go yeah, to? Yeah, that's right. And that opened the door to this if yeah. you would have asked that question, it might've got an objection. Oh, co- totally would have been objected. Yeah. Not allowed, but <clears throat> it, you know, but they let him answer it. And, um, you know, he, he, his answer just reflected very well on you. He's yeah. like, it was an amazing operation. They went to beautiful sanctuaries and refuges yeah. all across the West. And then I've even visited a couple of these turkeys and it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then it's like the jury's probably thinking on some level, 
Why can't Smithfield do that? Yeah. Why can't Smithfield be like, let's just let these two piglets have a beautiful life now. Yeah. Instead, you know, they're the FBI's hunting them down and chopping their ear off. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. You know, I, I, I had the same impression, and that's why we arrested the case. We were planning to call, you know, possibly some more witnesses, and you're one of the people who ran up to me. I'm so glad after, you didn't. After Rick was called and said, don't call anybody else. That was such a perfect way to end. Andrew was bad for you. Yeah, maybe. I'm sorry, to An- again, if Andrew's listening. No, Andrew, a lovely Andrew's person. But... He is an amazing person. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't want to say how I know, but, like, I have gotten feedback, and I don't think... Yeah, I mean, I... So... What I, I think that a lot of people probably interpreted the scary line in a different way than you did. I mean, and started feeling like this is kind of an extortion relationship. And um, and I think when Andrew said about seeing Lily and Lizzie the day before or even disclosing there was a day before, I think it was just surprising and caused people to process. And maybe, maybe it did hurt my credibility, especially a little bit, because I hadn't disclosed that. I wanted to, but I hadn't. But I don't know how much long-term damage it did because it didn't well, really... Didn't see Lily and Lizzie. So yeah. wasn't there to disclose just the previous night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he he's he just answered the question clumsily as if he might have seen Lily and Lizzie. And that the that's the problem is Yeah, that was the problem. And, it, and that's what they tried to let And That's in what closing. frankly you you are a better witness for yourself for questions like that than yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. Because I know it a lot better and I'm just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you know not to lead down not to give answers that lead down alleys you past. don't want to go yeah, down. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been a lawyer for fifteen years. Exactly. So. Um, you're, you're, so when it comes to the facts of what's going on, I think you're your best witness, Wayne. Yeah, and um, I think we should probably shut this down soon. <laughs> yeah, we've been seven twenty. We've, we've been talking been a long for a time. while. But what are what are the other kind of the big picture points for you from this trial before we close? Um, yeah, sure. Honestly, Having watched the entire thing. Yeah, I watched every moment of it except for the verdict, which is uh, you know depressing to me on some level that I didn't get to. <laughs> Although if you would have been convicted, I would have been glad I wasn't yeah. there for that because I would have been crying. But, um, you know, you gave your closing statement. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. I really oh, mean that. You. It's so brave. Um, you know, I just thought th- th- to end it on a note that wasn't just in the legal weeds and was took it back to the broader issue. Yeah. And then to get an acquittal after that, yeah. I think is just such a powerful thing. Like to be able to say... We even made the moral case to the jury. Yeah. And that was even front and center at the yeah. end. That was what we wanted them to go back to the deliberations thinking about was the moral case here. And then they acquitted. That says something. Yeah, I think I that says a lot. And, you know, I, I really didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought the last night I saw you was right after you gave your closing. And I basically gave you a goodbye hug. I uh-huh. thought it might be the last time I was going to see you for a while. I really did. I, I at least thought it, at a minimum it was a coin toss. Best yeah. case scenario, I thought you had a 50% chance. Of I going thought to- it was lower than that, to be honest. Yeah, it was hard to yeah. say, and um, yeah, it was it was just a remarkable thing, and um, I, I I do think it's a pretty hopeful sign, like it that is. people are, you know, thinking about farm animals this way. Even a random jury thought that, you know, I I think that they, they even if they didn't don't say so explicitly, I think that they can't help but think about some of the moral issues here. I agree. You know? I agree. So let's. So keep doing I thought it. it was a beautiful thing. Let's keep doing it, and we got some more cases left. So that's right. Jeremy, I'm enlisting you for Dane County, March That's my old stomping ground, actually. Old I used to live there. Ground, so let's do it. Okay. I want you in the courtroom with me, man. Okay. I need you. I need All right. you in the courtroom. I'll be there. Let's make it happen. Okay. All right. Any final thoughts, Mr. Beckham? I don't think so. Let's get some pizza then, huh? Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. All we'll right. See you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Fun conversation, huh? Jeremy's uh, a great conversationalist and has a lot of knowledge and a lot of interesting observ- observations about what unfolded in the trial. 
Um, but as always, I want to thank Shaloba Fakis for editing this podcast. Uh, Dean Rizikowski, Ivani Rose, Priya Zahani, Julie Waldrop for being a part of the volunteer podcast team. And all of you for supporting us all the way through this trial. And I hope you learned something that you did not know before this podcast in this conversation. Um, and please rate this podcast on an app that you're listening to podcasts on and share this podcast with a friend because there are some ridiculous stories from this trial and we need to get them out of the law. All right. All right. Until next time. Thank you all so much.